Welcome back, everybody. One of the incredible benefits of doing this podcast is getting to connect with people whom I grew up with and hearing their impact on the world. This, there's this idea that everyone has a perspective of the world, and their perspective is the world as they see it. I feel like this, is, this observation of other perspectives being worlds might be confirmation of multi-dimensional worlds. That, bear with me while I flesh this out. If their perspective is their world, then it is a world. It's one we know of, but can't completely experience. It's unique to them. And I honestly believe this is the right way to view it. There's neurochemistry at play. There's, there's, there's hormones. There's your, there's your genetics. All of these things affect your disposition and, and, and the way you can view and interpret and make sense of the world. All of this and more sets the stage for a true experience that is unique to you. So when someone dies, it's as if we've lost an entire world. After all, if the view of the world is unique to the individual, we can't experience it firsthand. Plus, we no longer get access to that world. Conversations give us access to worlds we didn't know existed and can't experience. My guest today is Patrick Mortensen. I had an outstanding opportunity to catch up with Patrick and learn his view of the world, and I wasn't disappointed. Patrick and I grew up pretty much right across the street from each other. If you looked across the street from my house and two houses to the left, that's, that's where he lived. We had our youthful follies and adventures through childhood, and he was a sort of big brother on the street. We talk about a vast array of subjects during this long three-and-a-half-hour podcast, from growing up at Ocean Springs to serving in the military together and even our lives post, post-military. We cover many subjects. It's, it, it's interesting, too, because having grown up together on the same street but separated by you know a couple homes— Having joined the military, he Army and I Air Force, we seem to have experienced a similar world, but with vastly different actual experiences, which of course shape our view of the world as we know it. You'll find in this episode that Patrick is a humble man with a wealth of life experiences. For the first time, I uh, acknowledge an addiction I suffered through with alcohol, and he shares his experience as well. It's amazing how people can make you feel comfortable enough to share those very vulnerable topics. We touch on lighter subjects as well. He's a self-described Taco Bell savant and connoisseur, an infantry vet, and one hell of a model American. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Patrick Mortensen. All right, everybody. Thanks and welcome back to another edition of the Shop and Chivalry podcast. Today, I have uh, Patrick Mortensen in here. We grew up together down the street. He was the... Uh, you were, you're two years older than me, right? Uh, class of 04. 04. Okay, so three. Three, yeah. So I, I, was, I was 2007. So Patrick, yeah, man, uh, why don't you uh, tell us about yourself? Uh, well, so right now I'm an IT system administrator for a large utility company in Columbus, Ohio. Um, as far as before that, I was in the Army for almost five years as an infantryman. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that. I mean, so, so what was your time like in the army? Uh, I th- and, and here I'll, I'll back up one more yeah. further. Sorry, why why why'd you join? Why did I join? Um, I think uh, being in Ocean Springs and having my parents were of course Air Force, so that was a major thing. My grandfather Air Force as well, so I was around the military, right? And then. Uh, you know, nine eleven happened, and of course, having that in the back of my mind um, would have always. I mean, as soon as that happened, it was, it was like, you know, hey, I have, I have something that I, I feel like needs to be done. 
Um, and then it, I think when I graduated, uh, it was, it, it kind of became more of not so much a mission, but I guess it felt like destiny because it, it felt like everything that I had going for me was just not really going for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does. Uh, can you provide an example? Uh, well, so, uh, right after graduation, of course I graduated in 04. So Katrina hit, you know, 05. Um, and I had already signed to join the army right before Katrina. Uh, and then of course left for basic training in January, 2006. So it just felt like, you know, my opportunity to excel as a person was no longer in ocean Springs. It was, hey, I got to get out of here, and what's the what's the quickest way to get out of here? And that was definitely the military. Yeah, I, I definitely resonate with that. Um, when I kind of I had to move away from Ocean Springs to actually appreciate it, you know. But at the time, there was a, almost a feeling of resentment towards Ocean Springs, and and maybe that, but also I just I didn't like the sort of uh, idealistic culture that was here you know like it, it wasn't as artsy and, and and welcoming and and diverse as it is now it felt like there was there was an elitist atmosphere oh for sure you know what i mean for sure you definitely and you still have it yeah you still yeah. have the haves and the have nots mm-hmm. uh but i definitely agree with you i i think looking back uh through high school i don't remember ocean springs being as plentiful in, in the art department as it is now. Yeah. You know, I whenever so. I come here it's like, oh man, that is awesome. Yeah. I don't remember that as a as a high schooler. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. But I definitely know what you mean with the with the elitist attitude that a lot of us yeah. uh ocean springians yeah. <laughs> uh carry. Um and and I'm guilty of it too, you know, because if I hear somebody f- that went to St. Martin High and they're like, oh I'm from Ocean Springs, I'm like, no. Nah. You're not from Ocean Springs. You're not, though. <laughs> not, Doc. You're not, though, for sure. Yeah, it, it's, it's not without its trappings, you know, because, and, and Ocean Springs, part of the reason it is kind of elitist is because, you know, the, the average, you know, well, the medium level of income is, is one of the highest in the states. The per capita income is, is uh, one of the highest in the states. I think Madison County might, might be the one that we uh, go back and forth with. Uh, but the trappings of that are, I mean, look at our high school. You know, yeah. I talk about this all the time. The fact that in my four years, I was able to take classes like human geography, uh, um, sociology, microbiology, genetics in high school. I talked to people from other parts of the country like, you did that in high school? Like, yeah, you know, I didn't think anything of it. You know, perhaps that's the privilege aspect of yeah. it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely unique in that. Yeah, it's, uh, so, so being that I live out of state now, um, bringing up the fact that I graduated from a Mississippi high school is kind of like, uh, what, you know? Oh, I know. Um, I know. <laughs> but then I'm like, hey, you know, yeah, it's Mississippi, but it's, it's not Mississippi. Yeah. You know, uh, I always say it's a two, two, eight Mississippi, not the six Oh one. Yeah. Well, we used to be six Oh one is the crazy thing. I, I remember when ocean Springs was still six Oh one. That's a thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to say it probably happened around 97, 98. Okay. Uh, was when the transition of, of area codes occurred. 
Look, uh, we were we were steadily moving up too because <laughs> because if that's the case, I remember whenever we were featured as a city on the on the uh, weather on the eights on the Weather Channel when they finally put us on there, yeah. we're like we're on the map, you know, literally. <laughs> <laughs> because before it wasn't, it was like Pascagoula, Biloxi, Gulfport, and we weren't there yet. I was yeah. So bitter. Yep. Um, yeah. It uh, it it was it would have been around ninety seven ninety eight. I remember. Because there were still uh, signs in Ocean Springs that had 601 in front of their phone number. No kidding. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Must not have, I might not have been old enough and to And I mean, you got to think, Wade, Wade County, or, you know, Wade still has the 601. Uh, they're still, and that's I don't that's do Jackson anything out County, in Wade, so I know? wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't know. But yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty bizarre. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I can say that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely, a lot has changed, uh, but yeah, I, I think one of the things when I tell people, yeah, I went to, you know, I'm from Mississippi. Oh, you know, that, that weird look you get. Um, well, it's a state that battles Arkansas for 49th place. Like, what, like what do you got to do to get to 49th place? Like, start using pencils? Yeah. You know? Like, well, <laughs> I, I think a, a majority of the southern states, you got Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas. I've, I feel like those and Mississippi, those four are definitely the, the coin flip on who's last place. Sure. You sure, and, yeah. and then you have the bizarre crimes of Florida, you know. So <laughs> you I love that going. I want to do a Florida man calendar, you know, <laughs> and just an amalgam each month of, of of all the crazy shit that that goes on by you know a Florida man or Florida woman or something. But so so it sounds like you're you're not one of these people who joined for God and country. Um, joined the army for God and country, but but it does sound like you you felt a purpose. Yeah. Did well, you ever find out what that was? I. And I, I don't, I, I can't really tell you. Um, there is, there is something about that I think exists in, in, I think it's more common and commonly found in, in, in males, but this, this yearning to brave the world. And it's like you're being driven towards something, but you don't know what it is. Yeah, for sure. Was that more likely kind of what you, what you're going through? Uh, I mean, it could have been. I'm so so if we backtrack to, to Patrick pre-Ocean Springs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we lived in Turkey uh, as an Air Force family. So I'd already seen, you know, the world as far as a difference between here and there. And that's back uh, when you can go downtown off of Interlake. You can go right. In the we, alley. We, yeah. we actually lived off post. Really? Um, yeah. My, were my, you at Interlake? Yeah, okay. we were at Interlake. My mom will tell a story, you know, I mean... You, you apparently see my mom more than me, uh, but she'll tell you, if you ask her, she'll tell you a story about uh, how I just wandered off one day. She thought I was napping. Uh, I just crawled out the window and uh, went down to our, our Shazi's house, our, our landlord, um, and she found me there drinking tea. And that was pretty much uh, a normal thing <laughs> Why, for me. Why'd you really? Yeah, and my mom uh, freaked out. You know, as moms would do. Your for child sure. is, is no longer in in the bed that you put them down for a nap. Yeah. Um, How old were you? Man, I was probably two or three. Yeah, I was an adventurer, man. <laughs> man, that's incredible. Uh, and, and and Turkey, like outside, looks pretty sketchy. Or outside of the base, looks fairly sketchy. Yeah. You know, as as most places do i think around that area but <laughs> maybe maybe now um more so than from the the eyes of a child fair point you know um and then another story is that uh i acquired i tactically acquired a bicycle go on uh <laughs> and and rode to the gate 
walked off post, got an ice cream, walked back, and a uh, gate guard knew my dad. So she snagged me up and called my dad. And, of course, you know, all the puzzles are getting put together. The cops were called up for a missing bike. Oh, oh my goodness, there's a bike. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there was, uh, there was definitely some, some crazy uh, Patrick stories. Little I'm, Patrick, I'm yeah. sensing an innate desire for you to just get what you want <laughs> you know it, yeah like you've got I, you know what i want i want a damn ice cream exactly you know? I, I i feel like i need it yeah yeah <laughs> uh that was that was me and and so we lived in turkey from from my age of two to seven because uh, we moved to mississippi in 94 mm-hmm. uh so of course ben was was basically a newborn you mm-hmm. know a one-year-old when we got there and ben's your brother yeah shout out to ben yeah uh <laughs> who uh, has a son that looks exactly like him, and it's it's just wild, man. Yeah, I've seen some pictures, yeah. It's wild. I'm like, goodness gracious, man. <laughs> Spit an image. Uh, yeah. and, and, of course, me and my dad look alike, so it, it only makes sense that Ben would have a child that looks exactly like him. My family's got a dominant forehead, and uh, I met family in Philadelphia for the first time, and I drove there, right? And they gave me the address, and I, I was confused which house it was, and so I was like, well, I you know, gotta gotta do this. You know, so I go knock on the door, but bro, the per- the person that opens the door is this uh, is this like middle aged woman with a massive forehead. I walk inside and everyone has this forehead, and I thought to myself, I'm in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yep, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so to get back to to me as far as the the moving and adventuring. Yeah, um, yeah. It. I wouldn't say in Mississippi I felt like I had to get away. I knew for me as a person I needed to because I saw people who were still here and they're in their 20s and 30s. Yeah, and, doing, doing nothing. Right. And I think that's a norm, that, that became kind of a normal thing. Like my, my opportunity to, get a, to be better as a person is for me to leave. So there's a guy, I won't, I won't tell you his name uh, on, on air here, but uh, he, he was around, like his clique in high school, they, were, they weren't like wholly bad kids, but they were around the fringe of people that would do the drugs and brag about it, that sort of thing. He's, he had a choice to make, a very important one after, after high school. It took him about a year, but he made it and he joined the Air Force and he left. Barreau. Promoted quickly. He went into a cyber career field. So um, he's, he's got the IT background. Beautiful wife. Great kids. Everything turned around, you know. He comes back here. Got involved in the same friends. Got into heroin. I tried to... I felt bad for him uh, because his life just fell apart. Uh, or fell apart, as you might expect. And he had this sob story on Facebook about how they were about to repossess his truck. And... Uh, I, I got in touch with him. And I said, Hey man, look, you know, what do you need to do here? He's like, look, I just, I just need money to make my truck payment. I said, I tell you what, I'll make a payment for you. Okay. But I need you to send me the account number for the, uh, uh, for, for the loan. And, uh, he, he sent me his account information for his personal account. I was like, man, I'm not doing that. He's like, man, come on. I just, I just need the money. I was like, I can't do that. You right. Know? And you know why. So ended up not, not being able to do it, but that was an example of like, yeah, 
you've, you've got to leave the nest. You just have to. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And I always, I always say that too. Uh, you know, I, moving to Columbus, I'm like, you know, I'm far, far enough away from the nest. I have family up there. I got cousins that live up there. So I have people I can call on my folks. Yeah. They're, they're a day drive away, you know? Yeah. It's uh 14 hours, but it's a day, you know? Yeah. Um, but you're far enough away to develop yourself. Right. You know, to learn who you are. Right. And that's, that's post army too. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've already had the, I guess I already had the opportunity to develop myself away from Ocean Springs and my, and my parents. Um, and then, you know, I moved back here for almost two years uh, mm-hmm. after I got out, went to JC, got my associate's degree, and then booked it to Columbus to go to Ohio State. Um, but it was definitely needed f- for me to develop, you know, not only as a person, you know, outside of the military, but just for me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the structure was was mine to make as opposed to, you know, waking up in, in your parents' house and having to do certain chores, you know, even though you're an adult. I'm not going to tell my dad, hey, fuck off. I'm not doing the laundry. Right, you know? right. Or, you know, I'm, I'm not picking up my, my empty beer bottles like, screw you. you yeah. Know? Uh, I'm living under your roof. Yeah, I'm paying a, a bill or two to stay here. Um, but it was definitely, it was good for me um, just to be away and not have, I guess, that uh, necessity mm. of feeling like hey i will always have somebody that i can fall back on right away that's right which is not true right because you know life is finite right (laughs) i mean that's 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 just the reality of it but uh yeah it's uh it's it's been a lot of a lot of culture shocks as far as what i see on a daily basis uh the amount of people i'm around on on a day to day, I mean pre COVID, <clears throat> oh, of <yeah>. course. <laughs> um, you know because in Mississippi, we we looked up the stats last night. Mississippi has three million people in the entire state. Columbus has one point five million, including the suburbs. So, Columbus by itself versus is is half of Mississippi. Yeah. Um, so it's it's uh, two different worlds. As far as that, and and of course, uh, the state of Ohio itself has twelve million, uh, close to thirteen million mm-hmm. actually. Um, so it's almost four times the size statewide population, uh, even though land mass is probably about the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think I probably had my first adult culture shock. Well, I definitely did in in Seattle living in in washington state because when i was in the army Mm -hmm. i was stationed at fort lewis so that's a beautiful area by the way or jblm as it's called now yeah joint base lewis mccord it it used to be just fort lewis Mm -hmm. and and mccord air base but uh yeah it uh it 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 was nice getting away i do not miss the weather at all um (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's what i tell people all the time Yeah, yeah like but I don't eat seafood anywhere else. So that's part of the reason why I, I, I come here. 
twice a year mm-hmm. so I could get my, my seafood fix. And there then, you go. You know. Get your crawfish. Yep. <laughs> yep. Crawfish, shrimp, you know, ev- yep. everything. Uh, it's it's so funny to me that, that what's what's a delicacy down here is essentially all the trash creatures on the bottom of the uh, uh, water eating eating the other dead fish. I mean, they're all bottom feeders. Yeah. <laughs> you know, flout, trounder, uh, flout, uh, trout, mullet, you know, shrimp, crabs. <laughs> well, well. I just don't eat seafood in a landlocked state as it is. You yeah, know? as a general rule, yeah, um, that's yeah. I, yeah. I never ate, ate lobster in Iraq. Right, <laughs> right. I, I may have in Afghanistan. I gotta think about that one. <laughs> we're at we're in in Afghanistan. Uh, so we were all over RC South. Okay. Um, we started in Kandahar, went to Kalat, and then to Helmand. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, That's a tough area. I guess before Helmand was the Argandab River Valley, and then and then we moved to Helmand, and then our battalion commander um, put us in formation, told us we're not moving again, and then the next day we were packing up to move. Uh, so <laughs> we, we and we moved bitch. we moved all the way back to where we started from in Kalat um, before we handed over you know our our territories to the the people replacing us. Right. Um, but yeah, we were all over RC South. Um, it was, it was really wild how much I moved or how much we moved as a company because it was, it felt like every time I gave my folks an address and they'd send me something, I'd have to send them another address to get the next package. Um, it it was just consistent moving. It, Mm. It felt like probably once a month. Um, but then, of course, we had like a little dip where we were in the Helmand province for about three months. And what was that like? <laughs> that's a that's a that's a busy place. Well, so we we did a, a especially joint, in the earlier years, yeah, yeah. We, well, this was 2010, mm-hmm. February 2010. Uh, so so I guess I'll tell you about this this uh, mission because uh, apparently I think I can now. Uh, it's all over Wiki. And, okay, and all that stuff. So yeah, we can. <laughs> it's 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 interesting. My last my last deployment. Um, well, my last assignment. I, I I worked in the special operations community, and so I deployed in in support of them. Um, so yeah, we can we can definitely dive into some of these things. Cool, as much as we can. Yeah. Uh, so so we're in uh, Camp Tombstone. It's right outside of of Leatherneck. Okay, uh, which is where the Marines are in the Helmand Province. Mm-hmm. Um. And the Saints are playing the Colts in the Super Bowl. And, of course, the Saints win, right? And we've been prepping for this 30-day mission uh, to go down to Marja. And it's a, it's a joint mission with the Danes, the Jordanians, the Brits, the Canadians, the U.S. Marines, and, of course, us, the U.S. Army. Um, and all I could think after seeing the Saints win the Super Bowl is I'm going to die. Like, I, I'm going to die because the Saints won the Super Bowl. Like, I never thought I would ever see that happen. <laughs> so so by virtue of them winning, right, you know. It was game over. And, of course, <laughs> you, of course, uh, two weeks into this mission, we get hit by an IED, and I actually thought I died. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was, it was nuts. But um, I guess we, we could get into that, too. Uh, but we, we end up doing this mission 30 days in Marja. Um, 
get super sick with dysentery like the last five days of, of this mission because we we have like waters limited to begin with no showers uh you know <laughs> uh, life is just dirty in afghanistan yeah. you know oh for um, sure especially for what we are accustomed to as americans mm-hmm. um and yeah it was it was it was a wild 30 days we ended up getting a, a naval puck um presidential unit citation ah gotcha uh as far as uh being a part of this mission with with the marines um i think this was the one led by general mattis um no this would have been let's see i want to say mccrystal okay okay yeah you did mention that it had been handed over already right the 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 primary mission set was that so 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 what was your objective uh, so our objective as a striker unit was to um, basically head south and meet the Marines coming north. North, yeah, okay. Uh, so we were to basically go compound to compound from north to south and secure the roadways all the way to a, a point um, where I think it was called Three Roads. It's where Three Roads literally came together. Um, and we ended up having some, some wounded in action. Uh, one of my good friends who was in our sniper section mm-hmm. lost, basically lost all movement in his thumb. Uh, and, and another buddy who lived, he was actually the, the sniper's roommate, but he was in another platoon, mm-hmm. ended up getting, getting hit too. Um, what happened to him? I think he just took a round. Okay. Um, I'm not 100%, but I know it all happened the same day. Uh, and, of course, the information's coming through the, the radio, and you're just, like, trying to decipher what's happening, you know, who it is, and, and your mind's wondering, like, oh, my God, is it this person? Oh, my God, is it this person? And it ended up being my neighbors in the barracks, both yeah. of them. Like, they were roommates right next to me. Uh, so, so that was pretty wild. They, and, and they died? No, 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 okay. no. They were just wounded in action. Gotcha. Okay. Um, thank goodness. Because uh, they're, I mean, we, we, we lost some guys in Afghanistan, uh, Reynolds, White, and uh, Smith. And, of course, they were all, all amazing guys. Um, and, and that was the beginning of deployment. Uh, they hid an IED. Mm. And so, how uh, much longer did you have to go on this on this particular deployment? Fr- so, so we were there for an entire year, but that IED blast was like within the first month and a half. No kidding! Wow. Uh, so, yeah, we had to carry that uh, the rest of deployment. So that was and, and they were, so they were mortarmen uh, and tankers. So um, they everybody knew who they were as far as each individual platoon. Um, well-loved, well-respected guys. Sure. Um, and it definitely took a toll um, as, as, far as, as far as losing them. Um, and it's still, to this day, I mean, it's been 11 years since it's happened. Um, and it's still, uh, you know, something we carry. Yeah. Uh, of course, you never forget that kind of stuff. Um, no. Because, I mean, they're your brother's. But uh, yeah, it was it was um, 
And and then, you know, we, we kept moving, kept moving. So our minds, like, they were there, but we couldn't, we couldn't dwell on it because we, we had other missions we had to do. So when, when you say that you carry it, what do you mean by that? When, when you carry it, um, it because it's an, it's an interesting choice of words, right? Because to carry something is to hold something that has volume or weight to it. Uh, so so for, for me to say that I carry it, um, it's, it's kind of like I want to live a life that doesn't um, feel like theirs was wasted. Mm. Um, and, and that I sounds f- very, very purposeful, meaningful. Yeah, uh, I mean, so y- you have the idea when you go over there um, as an infantryman. Mm-hmm that there's an opportunity that you might not come back. You know, that possibility is going to be there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it happens for anybody that goes over there. But being infantry, you know, you know you're going to get there and there's supposed to be some shit going down and you're going to be there for it. Your job is to be opposing, you know. Right. We, we trained for these firefights. We trained to kick down doors and, you know, find the enemy. How much training do you go through in in processing? Like, is, is, is there any training that you go through where, like, you kind of have to put yourself in the state of thinking somebody you know that you care about is going to die and we're going to ask you to keep fighting? Is there any training or do you have any discussions about that? Or I don't think you ever really train for it. Yeah. But um, with good leadership, they're going to remind you mm-hmm. uh, that there is a possibility somebody's not coming back. Yeah. Um, and of course I, I had probably one of the greatest squad leaders ever. So one of the things he would make sure that, that, uh, through training, we understood, yeah, you can say you're going to do something, but you don't necessarily know that's what you're going to do For when, sure. when the time comes, you know, you might say, yeah, man, as soon as I hear that first round, I'm going to. I'm going to return fire, do, 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 you know. Odds are you're actually not. And There's plenty of studies around that. And you saying that, you're already kind of psyching yourself into it, but you might pee yourself, you know. You might, you might freeze up. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like that quote, you know, you, you never know what you're going to do until you get punched in the mouth. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's basically what my squad leader would remind us anytime we were training you ever read a book called on killing or on combat i don't it's by a guy who was a ranger and now he's a psychologist uh he's very very popular in the special operations community but these books talk about the psychological effects of combat and also of of being able to kill or 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 having killed as a person task to do that you know so we'll say like military police officers stuff like that and your body goes through so many phenomenal changes like during that like of course your body is designed to adapt but yeah it's very likely you're going to soil yourself it's also very likely that you won't have any memory of right. what you did it's um some people will will get into like cops because cops don't really spend that much time training you know which is unfortunate but they'll get into a situation where they can't hear when in like a a shooting and what they think is happening because they don't know why they think that um your your body is filling your ears with blood and constricting them to where they're closed so that you can 
deprive yourself of that sensory input so you can focus better. I mean, that makes sense. It's crazy, uh, man. And, and of course, the, the, sort of, the sort of tunnel vision, you know, that, that's, that's common as well. But there's right. a lot of effects. Super interesting book. Yeah, and that's, that's also one of the things that when you're, when you're training as an infantryman, um, you're, you're trying to train your senses not to get tunnel vision. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when you're focusing on firing your weapon, you know, they always say, don't close one eye, keep both eyes open so you see everything. You mm. know? Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of, and, and you train how you fight and you fight how you train. Yeah. That's one of the yep. phrases we always said. Um, and there's, of course, also <laughs> something that a lot of people don't quite understand when I say it. Um, but, but I guess some people do slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Yep. 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 Um, I learned that from, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the phrase. I'm sure you learned it the same, the same place, but, um, uh, tracking or, um, God, what's the, what's the word for it? Land nav. Okay. Land nav. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you could use it in every aspect though. For sure. Uh, I use it putting together a weapon. If you can put it together very slowly and do it the right way, you, you increase your speed. And eventually That's it becomes right. so smooth that it's muscle memory. Yep. Uh, and, and woodwork is kind of the same way, you know. I used to say it all the time, uh, and, and people who, who, who I've trained will, will recognize this, but I said it all the time with air traffic controllers. I was training them or managing them, and they were getting flustered because they're trying to say it fast. And new controllers always do this. They want to say the instruction fast. Turn left heading two four zero maintain five thousand, but the way it comes out is all jumbled, right? And then they have to repeat it, and so it's like, so what? What time did you save? You know, you're you're, you're trying to sound cool and sound like an air traffic controller, but I'm here to tell you, you're not one yet, right? So slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Get it out one time, the first time, and get it out right. I promise the speed will come. Yeah, you know for sure. Um, yeah, and, and and so as far as training, uh, we'll go we'll go back to to yeah, you asked yeah. how long training is. So, so basic training is nine weeks in, in the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you go, when you're doing infantry, um, basic training and, and OSIT are, are together. And OSIT is, um, well, I, I mean, it's, it's technically our infantry school. Okay. Um, okay. But so, uh, what, what we do is instead of nine weeks, it's a total of 14. So you have your nine plus five. Okay. Um, and I'm not, I would say the reason why they do that is just to keep you there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also kind of helps build that camaraderie um, and, and I guess creates somewhat of a, a togetherness. Yeah. Uh, because there's a lot of stuff that occurs in infantry school uh, that you need people you've been around. Yeah. Uh, for for support for help, you know, um, I mean, there's there's 12 mile road march at the end, uh, and you don't want any of your buddies to fall out, you know, mm-hmm. and it sucks because you've just done a week out in the field, uh, you did a 10 mile road march to get out there, you do a week out in the field, your final FTX, and then you you go do the stairway to heaven uh, in basic training, which is is these hills in Fort Benning that never end and they just continue to go up and until you you are at uh, eagle hill you know um or honor hill and it's uh it's a it's a mess man um but you you always want you want your brothers 
in basic training to, I guess, be there for you. Um, yeah. And if you only did nine weeks and then they, you know, split everybody up and everybody's three sheets to the wind, and then that last five weeks you just get introduced to some brand-new dudes, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to have that assistance that you might need. You know, in carrying or reliability, a, yeah, and yeah. carrying you know a hundred pound rucksack full of rounds and AG gear and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So, um, yeah, it uh, so you, so you have that, and then you go to your unit, and that's when you get to your unit is probably when uh, you're going to get the best training. I mean, basic training is just there to kind of get you ready to to join the army and then you, your infantry school yeah it's fundamentals um and, and then when you get to your unit is where you actually get taught things yeah um yeah. and I, i'm sure in the air force same way you, you graduate basic training you do your your uh school house you know yeah. your your individual mos or whatever yeah. you guys call it specialty uh, yeah, yeah. You, you you do your training and then when you get to your unit they they're like hey what you learned there is not going to keep you alive or not going to, it's not going to get it done. It, it, it set, you know, it, it basically gave you your how to do addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. We're going to teach you how to solve for X over here. Yeah. You know, gotcha. Um, gotcha. That's a great way to put it. And that was m- my unit was probably different in, in the idea that, <laughs> When I got there, there was like 200 people in a brigade. Mm. Like we were brand new, um, and 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 by the brigade, I mean we were standing up Fifth Brigade. I was part of the first 200. Okay, uh, and it was mostly people out of basic training. <laughs> so you're talking, you know, E1s are standing at parade rest for E3s, and it's like this doesn't make sense. Mm. And then we we started slowly getting leadership you know, specialists started showing up, you know, some NCOs. Our platoon sergeant was um, an E7 who ended up being our first sergeant Mm. when, when we first uh, got to our, our CQ and all, when we got to our actual post uh, on, on North Fort Lewis. Um, And he ended up, I think he ended up retiring and they, they actually brought in a first sergeant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, it was weird because we were, we were seventh platoon or sixth platoon. Yeah, sixth platoon. <laughs> Can we talk about the, just, uh, just for clarity, so you got a brigade. Brigade is made up of companies, so, right? And then so platoons are within. A, a brigade is made up of battalions. Battalions, okay. Battalions are made up of companies. Okay. Companies are made of platoons. Okay, got it. But when we got there, we're setting up a brigade, and of course each platoon, that because all we had were platoon size elements at the time, mm. each platoon was technically a battalion. Oh, I see. Okay. So it was it was really wild how everything just started falling together. Uh, it was just piece by piece, um, and we were stuck in some World War II barracks when we first got to Fort Lewis. Of course, this is. 2006 2007 mm-hmm. um and then they moved us to north fort lewis which was man my, my folks came uh to visit and they were like man are you sure you're in the army like these look like air force barracks <laughs> this isn't 
You're not supposed to have it's, this. It's so funny, man. Like, and and people who who aren't in the military like can't can't appreciate it. But like, the difference between the living conditions of like Air Force stuff versus other branches, like, it's a real thing. Yeah. it really is. Like, I remember uh, we landed in Fort Campbell, and when we stayed in Fort Campbell, I got substandard living pay. Can you believe that? So, so you you went from Ocean Springs to basically the Ocean Springs of all the military. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Uh, Damn it. You got me. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that's hilarious. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, so we, we had these nice ass barracks rooms. Of course I had my own room. Um, Damn. me and my roommate shared a common area and that was it. Mike. Oh, you key, were, you key, were living the locks, Air Force. Yeah. We were definitely yeah. living it up. Uh, and of course, so we were fifth brigade, brand new brigade. Fourth Brigade, I think, was still on post, and I think Third was on their way back from Iraq. Okay. Um, and I think Fourth was getting ready to go to Iraq. Um, but all we heard anytime we went off post was, uh, you know, stuff about how Fifth Brigade was just the babies of the army, and how we were getting spoon fed, and and all this stuff, and and they were just pissed off because we got these nice ass barracks, you know, and they're living in these shitty you know two guys in one little room yeah you know they, yeah. they can't bring a girl because their buddy's gonna end up watching if 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 they do you know yeah, kind of yeah. stuff um but of course we didn't we didn't have that um yeah like i said the only thing we shared was our common area uh so we had you know the bathroom kitchen we had our own washer and dryer inside our rooms like it was it was definitely air force uh air force style yeah yeah that's interesting well so going back to the going back to the training like preparing for for deploying can you talk about that because you 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 train but it's not like you can be in this like constant training mindset right because one i think we get burnt out but i could be wrong uh and two uh you're probably going to train for the uh threats at the time because the war evolves yeah um and well so as far as, as being somebody who is post 9-11, uh, mm-hmm. joining the military, um, we were training for war. Uh, and, and guys that were in before 9-11, they were not. No, like They no. weren't training for anything. And being a combat arms is... Uh, being a combat arms and not being at war is probably like the cushiest job ever. It's probably like the the last time prior to like uh, 9-11 that we had like kind of a ground war was probably like Desert Storm, right? Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Yeah, because even Bosnia, uh, that was all, that was primarily an air component. Yeah, and and probably any engagement that we had between would have been special forces, rangers type. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're not dropping infantry troops uh, Mm -hmm. into that. Um, As far as as a day-to-day life uh in garrison which would be in the states um i would say that we trained we went out to the field probably a week every quarter okay so so we probably would do well i'd say a week to two weeks um every quarter of the year and then we would probably go to the range uh i want to say probably once a month uh, you know, pro- well, probably twice uh, on those. If, so if we're looking at a quarter of a year, 
if if uh, January we'd go to the range, February we'd go to the range, March we would go out in the field for a week uh, or two. Um, and I can't tell you how how ass backwards it sounds to me that that like you're you're training for war, right? So so you're, but you you're not going to war anytime soon. You know, you're just doing your monthly maintenance of your skills by by going to the range. But a gate guard who's supposed to be you know, ready to shoot back or defend himself for the base or the post every day gets called once a year. It sounds odd to me. Uh, I mean, I would... So, so the reason why I would say it's probably not weird mm-hmm. is because the amount of times a gate guard's going to have to shoot a vehicle is probably, what, point zero zero oh, fractional, for sure definitely fractional um where where infantry our job is going to be to to shoot like that's it um as as far as our gate guards i think we had civilians Mm -hmm. uh we may have had some mps but uh or or for you guys it'd be sf right yeah yeah Um, security forces but for for us i want to say it was it was civilian contractors were the ones at the gate um but yeah, we, we did a lot of uh, range time, a lot of weapons cleaning, uh, a lot of weapons cleaning. Like sometimes the weapons weren't even dirty, and we had to clean them. Um, <laughs> and that was that was usually a, a very frustrating day. Yeah. Uh, because we were sitting around the CP, and all of a sudden, first sergeant's like, "Hey, if you guys want to get out of here by four thirty, you got to clean up the CP and make sure all the weapons are clean." And of course, we're what's like, the CP? So the CP would be just the the commonplace or, okay. or the, the company. Gotcha. Um, but so yeah, you know, sweeping and mopping the floor, making sure the toilets are clean because you got some dirtbag who doesn't have good aim. Um, <laughs> Bro, like when I got out of like tech school, um, every unit I was in, uh, somebody else did all the cleaning. <laughs> Like it, like, like it was contracted out. But a lot of my army buddies tell me that they were still responsible for like the cleaning of the building. You Air you Force know? people, I'm telling you, it's it's you, so bizarre that we live so different. Ocean Springs <laughs> ass motherfuckers. No, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it. Um, so it <laughs> it was it was definitely um, a, a different time. And of course, my mom. Uh, I would call my mom, and I'd mom. And I'm, I'm frustrated. Mom, how come people just won't do what they, they need to fucking do? And she's like, who am I talking to? You know? <laughs> who, who is this person? Because, you know, Patrick, uh, high school Patrick was, was definitely the, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to do what you high want High school me to Patrick. Do. It sounds like five-year-old Patrick. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and Sometimes five-year-old Patrick is still alive and well. Um, oh yeah, ditto. <laughs> yeah, uh, I you know sometimes I just want to sit down and watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles all day and and you know eat cereal. Well, COVID has certainly <laughs> made that more of a reality and more commonplace. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's uh, so so we had we had a lot of area beautification was another thing we had to do, mm-hmm. um, and and that was essentially we were the groundskeepers. Sure. Um, we didn't mow the yards, but we had to pull weeds, and of course, you had you had a lot of cigarette buds. Um, 
Yeah, I know you, you're laughing because you probably had somebody that came and picked weeds for you guys. No, no, I, I was gonna say that <laughs> that at my last unit, at my last unit, that so they had they had a uh, a general coming through, and the senior NCOs were saying we need to get the the weeds picked in the flower beds by the building, you know, and somebody stands up and says, "Sir, we actually can't make them do that." Okay. If you are going to do that, you have to do it with them, and, and everybody has to do it. You can't ask individuals to do that. Apparently, that's the thing, because then it looks like punishment. Yeah. And we can't have that. Yeah. You can't punish people. So, uh, so it, was this, it was this big frustration to where, like, they didn't know how to get these fucking weeds picked because they couldn't tell just a couple people to go do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, everybody I talked to that's either still in or was in after – they said that a lot of stuff changed as far as, you know, um, the punishments concerned. For a while, I was told that uh, if you told a private to do push-ups, you had to do push-ups with him. With them, yep, yep. Um, and I'm like, well, that just sounds stupid. But it kind of makes sense, man. As much as I fucked up, my leadership probably should have been doing push-ups with me too. There, uh, <laughs> well, well, there's an ethic involved in it. You know, if it's meaningful and you think it's actually going to going to help you, I'm going to show you because I'm going to do them with you. Right. You know, and there's there's a sort of element of like suffering together. You know, I'm doing this because I care about you, and I mean that so so much that I'm going to do this with you. Yeah, but let's be real. That's that's not. Uh, it, Look, I can't it, speak it, it about the individuals. In, it yeah. sounds good yeah. in theory, but uh, let's sure. let's be real. It's always this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me, <laughs> uh, and and it should always be that way. Uh, when it comes to to the military, but um, I do think that 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 what we're doing is we're as we're making this uh, less or more comfortable for people and times when it should clearly be uncomfortable. Um, I think we're losing some moxie, and I think we're also losing um, some hardness and some resiliency. And we're and we're replacing that with with like you know counseling sessions. And and I'm not dissing that. I I think there's value, and I I, I really do. Um, but man, you got to develop a hardened individual too. Well, and then you know you look at you look at people that are in now versus people that were in ten, fifteen years ago, and they're going to look. You know, if, if you go to the VFW or something like that, they'll be like, "Oh, you're part of that generation of the military." Yeah, you know, it's and it's <laughs> it's kind of like a discredit to your service. But people do that all the time. Yeah. You know, there's yes. there's some generational tribalism there. You there, know, there, there is, uh, and, and there's also the 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 tribalism of oh you were air force or you were navy like or, like we're doing or, right now yeah or you were uh, you were coast guard oh. like uh, <laughs> there was a there was a quote one time that said there's only oh, i really hope i get this right like th two branches of the military the uh let's see the navy and the army the marines are a cult the air force is is a uh corporation and the coast guard is a fraternity <laughs> Well, so in, in the Army, we always said you're either infantry or, or your support. Yeah. Because uh, you're either you're, you're infantry, your boots on the ground, or you're supporting those boots on the ground. Uh, but it's a lot of people kind of forget yeah. about that, 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 they're, that they're there. I mean, the Army itself is, is really, it's a powerful force. Uh, but without the infantry, which is the, the queen of battle, mm -hmm. you know, that's... that's our phrase and the, the king of battle would be artillery because mm -hmm. if you're thinking in, in, in the, the mindset of chess, the queen can move anywhere at any time. Infantrymen, artillery can, can only move one space at a time. Oh, I like very that. Very slowly. Mm. 
Um, but both are very powerful um, and, and can do damage at any point. And, uh, I mean, some would probably say the king is is uh, the only one that matters, but nobody's going to tell you artillery is the only thing that matters in, in the army. No. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, and, uh, man, there's there's one time I got a call. So my job in, in Afghanistan uh, when I was deployed there with the special operations unit was I was an, I was an airspace manager and I was the airspace manager for the country, right? Um, during the dark hours. So everything funneled through me when somebody needed to have airspace built so they could stack aircraft to either develop pattern of life or they're watching this guy finding the right time to strike or because they're getting ready to strike or there's a 105 millimeter shell right here that, uh, you know, we, we shot with AC one thirties. Uh, um, but, you know, so I had to coordinate that and I would take, take away it's, it's black. It's yeah, that, that tube right there. But, uh, my job was to kind of steal airspace, you know, national airspace. Uh, and one time I got this call from this guy, uh, he was on a small post and they had triple sevens and his, and his, uh, his unit had taken fire. And so, so a triple seven is a huge, like, it's towed behind a vehicle. It's a huge, like, artillery, you know, gun or whatever. Um, and it shoots, I think it shoots 105 millimeter round, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but he's like, hey, man, I had to fire this triple seven. We were, we were getting attacked. You know, I hope nobody got hit, you know, basically that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stop you right there. All right. We both know you're supposed to coordinate for these things. But under the rules of engagement, you can immediately return fire if you're taking it. I was like, so... You took fire, you returned fire in a proportional manner, so you're good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, but he was legitimately concerned because the issue is, is that if he's not, if I don't, if he doesn't coordinate with me, I can't sterilize the airspace and there could be an aircraft that flies through there and, you know, gets, gets hit. But chances are they would see the, see the explosion. Plus there's also the big sky little bullet theory, so. Yeah, uh, and that, so you brought up rules of engagement. That was something that changed a lot while we were in Afghanistan, too. I just read uh, uh, Call Sign Chaos, the book by General Mattis, and, and he talked about that being so, so frustrating. And I know when we were getting ready to strike uh, when I was deployed, because we were, you know, again, we were watching, like, named high-value targets, and that's, that's, that's who we were striking. Depending who was leading the mission what province it was, who was involved in the mission, you know, was it strictly a special operations or were there coalition forces involved? I literally had a lawyer in there that was talking to the commander, you know, the, uh, the, the full bird and saying, this is how you can make it legal to strike him or you can't strike him because we don't have these elements. Like people don't realize there's a lot that goes into that missile, yeah. you know, striking a target. Well, and, and so when we were preparing, so I guess... The, cra the crazy thing about the, the Army and pre-deployment was the entire time from 06 until 09, February 09, was we were prepping for Iraq. Um, and then February 09, or March, March 09, I believe, um, when we were in California at NTC, they flipped the script and told us, oh, by the way, you guys are going to Afghanistan. Okay. You're going to be the first strikers in Afghanistan. So... Um, were y'all flown in as so yes okay uh, our strikers I think were taken by ship 
Okay. I'm, I'm not 100%. Yeah. On, on I know happened. the largest amphibian assault was um, uh, was actually into Afghanistan. So so the Marines launched from the water actually in there. So it was considered like it was, a, it was like a three or 500 mile amphibious assault to invade. But yeah. Yeah. Well, strikers aren't amphibious. Right, um, right, right. But uh, yeah, I was they, just curious what the logistics were. Yeah, you know? I'm. I want to say they they took all the strikers there by boat. Yeah. Um, and and dropped them off. I don't. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. Uh, there'd be a lot of planes delivering all the strikers from an entire brigade. Uh, if, if it were any other way, that's that's one of the things we did. So w- when I was in Oman, and this is back when I was in aircraft maintenance, uh, and I was flying on the jets. W- our role was to pick up damaged Afghan or damaged strikers or ones that, that needed like depot level maintenance and we'd bring them to Oman. They'd sail out of the port of Oman. So it might be the case that, that they were brought to Oman and then they were flown in by the C seventeens. Yeah. So it's possible. Um, we yeah, can only carry two at a time, but yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure on how the transportation of them got there. All I remember is putting them on a train and then a week or two later we were flying to Afghanistan. Actually probably about a month. Um, yeah, it was probably about a month that we didn't that we didn't see our strikers. Wow. Um, but Those are such insane vehicles, man. Yeah, man. And so ours was named Alice. Of course, we, we named it Alice after Resident Evil. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, she was a bitch. She's a bad bitch. Um, Did she have the rockets? No, no. So we were. Um, it was an ICV infantry okay. carrying vehicle. Uh, so the RWS which is the, the remote weapon system. Of course, the vehicle commander's got like a joystick um, on the inside, but ours was a Mark 19. Um, so our 1-1 vehicle and our 1-3 vehicle were 50 cals, and 1-2, uh, which was my vehicle, and 1-4 were uh, Mark 19s. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a picture of it uh, on the on the website so, so, so people can, can know what we're know know what we're talking about but yeah man so so you spent you did how many tours in afghanistan just just one year okay uh, one one full calendar year from 15 july to 15 july wow um oh nine to, to 10 um and uh go going there i feel like i had a lot more fear uh than and you know, just the hype, I guess, the feelings. Um, aside from the Saints winning the Super Bowl, like that was, you know, that that was like the. Uh, and, and of course, I, I I will always post. I guess I need to go to Afghanistan during playoffs or something because <laughs> that's the only time the Saints are going to win. Uh, I know. really hope Drew Brees wins another. I do too, um, and I hope I don't have to go to Afghanistan f- to see it. Um, <laughs> but I will uh, if it comes to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it it was uh, a year I'll never forget. A lot of of uh, heartbreak, a lot of self realization. Um, like what? I mean, talk about talk about that sort of self self realization. So is it like you just kind of learning? learning about yourself, you know, basically, because again, part of the impetus for your joining was to, you know, kind of go through this path of, um, you know, self, self discovery. So I'm curious how much of that is attributed to maybe that deployment. So I, I would say one of, one of the realizations I came, uh, to 
was probably the the idea that yeah I could do a lot of things alone, but there are some things you just can't do alone. Yeah. Um, and and a full deployment without having family and friends uh, would 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 drive any man crazy. Yeah. Um, and of course we saw the dear John letters, you know the um, the loss. Uh, people losing family members in the States while in Afghanistan. Um, you know, all, you know, <laughs> hell, even, even the birth of children. Um, that, that happened to us. There was a warrant officer who was, who was in our uh, joint operation cell. And uh, I always thought this was like kind of a savage thing for the army, but you know, it's a different branch, but he was going to have his baby. And so they decided to get him back so he could have his baby, baby, but he still had to come back and finish his tour. Yeah. You know, and I thought like, man, in the Air Force, I think they just send, send a new person out. Yeah, you know? the, the Army, it's, uh, I mean, you know what you're getting over there to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what your job is. And that's why I feel like a lot of people get out is they realize the Army doesn't really give a shit um, if you're having a kid or not. They're very equipment and mission focused. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Air Force is very people focused. I I would say that they they want people to come back in as as good or if not better shape uh, than they than they you know went over there in. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it, it doesn't happen. Um, you know the mentality of some people um, it's just not there. Um, and of course we've lost more people post deployment than than during. Um, and a lot of that, I, I'm not sure where to, where to put the blame on that. You know, uh, you, can you really blame the person? Yeah. I mean, at some point there's some sort of personal accountability in, in what you do as a, as a human. Um, but at the same time, if you're going through stuff and you feel like nobody's there and that's part of, I guess, my self-realization while, while I was in Afghanistan was, yeah, I can do a lot of things alone, but I also need people. Um, and I think that's probably helped with, with post-deployment, realizing that, hey, sometimes I might need to talk to somebody. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, I've been dealing with the VA for uh, since right around April um, was when I, I yeah, April of this year. I'd gone to the VA in, in 2012. Uh, and, and they just kind of pushed pills on me. So I told them, you know, I'm not coming back, and I never did until uh, I talked to, to one of my Army buddies, and he said, hey, man, give it another shot. Go to the VA. Mm-hmm. You know, go this route. Do this. Talk to these people. Um, and then, of course, I, I go and I do that, and they're like, hey, you need to do this. So they sent me on, like, the side venture, you know. And and uh, that's the issue with with bureaucracy man yeah you know i hate it yeah it uh it's definitely been an adventure since march april well i guess february uh really mm-hmm. um and that was we we talked about you know how i'm how i'm living the sober life so yeah yeah um and and that was kind of a one one crazy night of drinking uh and a, and of course uh, a lot of things kind of went into it but um, I don't like to drink alone, and that was something I kind of realized after getting a dog 
I thought, oh, I'll get a dog and, and I'll be able to drink in my apartment and not have to worry about driving and not worrying about Ubering or anything like that. Yeah. And I think the first time I sat down with the dog and tried to drink, I was like, this just isn't fun to me. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> I love my dog. Um, my dog's awesome, but I, yeah, drinking alone, it's, it's kind of a social thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and did it, did the drinking, was it, was it the desire to drink that, that, that worried you or was it that, um, it was a sort of self-defeating concept. Maybe you didn't like how you behaved when you did drink and you knew you had to drink in public. So it puts yourself in a public situation where, you know, you'd be, you'd, you'd, you'd have less inhibitors in your, in your behavior. So one of the things that I've talked to my VA uh, therapist about. And, is, and, to, and to be clear, you don't have to answer this or any question. Yeah, no, so. no, we're good. Yeah, we're good. Um, for, for me, w- talking to my therapist, the, the reason why I drank was, was definitely the social aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, my problem was not knowing when to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, I would just start drinking and start drinking and. You know, before I knew it, you know, I'm trying to drink as much as I was last year. Yeah. And, of course, I went went through like a six-month hiatus of not drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't on the same level as I was previously, but I was still trying to drink as much as I was. Uh, so it was like getting super trashed and, right. and, and saying things I didn't mean to people, you know, being overly emotional with people. Um, so it, it, it became kind of a mix between not knowing when to stop and not being able to control myself in in the aspect of the way I want to be able to control Mm -hmm. myself, I guess. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird way to put it. Um, because I, man, I'm. I think anybody you talk to that knows me would be like, "Oh, Patrick, yeah, he loves beer." Yeah, for um, sure. It 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 surprised me, but but at the same time, like, I mean, not in a way. Like, I certainly wasn't disappointed. I mean, at at the end of the day, it's obviously the better move to not drink, you know. And and I've I've slowed down heavily since since the uh, Mayweather Connor not Connor fight. Okay. So I just I kind of had a similar experience. Um, and uh, I didn't like how I how I kind of behaved, so I slowed down tremendously. Um, and I was in a bad bad place over there anyway. But yeah. I I would say the the best part of quitting was when I did. Like the decision to quit when I did was probably the best move. Uh, when you when you go a while, or maybe you you experience this um, whenever you quit. But I know that in that first the first three days were the hardest for me. And I'm telling you, I was drinking like every day. I was drinking every day. I was drinking volumes every day, you know. Uh, and it, the first three days was, was the most difficult. I had to write out like kind of a mantra about what I didn't need and why I didn't need alcohol. Like I, I had to do that. And, and on the drive home, I had to repeat that to myself because I was very tempted to go to the store, right? Um, but after about day three, it's as if the world... I got this weird sense of clarity in my own thoughts. Did you experience anything like that? 
I, I want to say no, um, and but I, I do know what you mean uh, because a lot of the stuff that I read about addiction and, and stuff like that is uh, the, f- the first three days your body is, is losing its addiction, mm-hmm. uh, the physical addiction, and then the first seven is kind of your mental, um, mm. your mental addiction to it. I think I did uh, notice something like that. That's with tobacco. That's with, with you know, smoking, chewing. Uh, that's with the alcohol. That's with, with a lot of drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. There are some drugs that probably takes a little longer to break that mental addiction. Yeah. Um, for me, and, and this is why when people would question whether I was an alcoholic or not, because I got a lot of messages uh, being someone that posted a lot on social media about drinking. Um, I never woke up in the morning thinking I needed to drink. I never had that either, honestly. Um, and anytime I quit, I could quit in, in waves. I, I mean, I would go a week without drinking easily. I would yeah. go two months without drinking easily. Um, yeah, I can do that now. But, like, man, when I was in it... it not, uh, well, even at my peak, it was never really difficult. I think um, when, when I decided to quit chewing tobacco, it was probably... Uh, probably the hardest addiction to drop. Um, I've heard that. I've heard that's a son of a bitch to try and... Well, you're, you're going from. through oral fixations, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the physical feeling of things in your mm-hmm. lip, um, and, and cigarette smokers go through that, that motion of, you know, fingers to mouth too, um, and that, that oral fixation as well. Um, Do you, are, are you somebody that, that at a restaurant... And the check is signed. You're getting ready to go. You got to make sure your drink is empty, whether it be water, Coke, or like beer. Yeah, I'm one of those people. For sure, too. I can't. I, I can't leave it. I'll. I'll. I'll ch- It'll be a, a new thing, and I'll chug it down. Yeah. And I wonder if that. And I've always been like that. Like even as a kid, I, I just. I always. I was always drinking something. I think that's more of an OCD thing, though. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it, wanting, it certainly doesn't to help the drink in, empty. Yeah. Uh, and, in that and, behavior, and that probably doesn't help with. Uh, with food uh, f- for obese people either, you yeah. know, uh, packing on them pounds because yeah. you don't want to leave, you know, growing up, man, it was always make your plate a happy plate, you know, mm-hmm. and that meant make it completely clean, you know. Man, that's true. I never thought about that. You know, I wonder how much how much our uh, maybe our, our eating behaviors as an adult are negatively influenced by, you know, us well-intentioning getting our kids to eat their food you know what i mean like man that's that's a weird thing to think about yeah and and when i was in a i took a psychology class uh, at osu and one of the things that that the professor talked about with obesity in in america was the fact that as americans we haven't figured out how to separate thirst and hunger where we might be dehydrated but we're we think we're hungry so we eat when we should be drinking water. Um, it, yeah, it was it was wow. very it was very weird, but it man, it made you think like, okay, if I slam two glasses of water before I eat, how much less am I going to eat? You know, um, and and if you got in the habit of of drinking before you you know drinking water before you eat, how much you know what's your portions going to be like at that point? And, and it it made you think. Uh, and of course, being military, you're always like, "Oh yeah, 
well hydrated you know during yeah. during a nice little stream yeah yep. uh you know when you're hydrated you know when you're not for the for those who don't know like in in like every military bath bathroom there's this same it's probably a dod form but it shows like the 10 maybe or five or something uh uh different colors that urine could be yeah and then you want it to be like this really clear or like faint like faint yellow tint to it that way you can know if you're hydrated you probably i would say so so clear means you you could be overhydrated um and, and you're mm-hmm. you know i mean when you're losing electrolytes and stuff like that you're you're really putting your body out there clear is good but it's if it's always clear you're probably bad uh you want it to be that nice yellowy tint really yeah i didn't know that yeah you don't want it dark yellow you know because <laughs> that means you drink a little too much monster <laughs> Uh, not enough yeah, water. The, the, I always liked the brown bar. Like, like oh, it was yeah. the bar that was brown. And, and, and I'm thinking like, uh, I think it said stop, go go to the hospital or, yeah. or something like that. Next yeah, to but it. of course that's like th- three monsters and a, a night after <laughs> drinking a bottle of Jack, you're coming into work and that's that's your urine. Bro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was always interesting handing, uh, you know, the, the morning piss test and bam, there you go. There it is. And, it, it, and it's like, are you sure? You peed in that? Like, that looks like mud, bro. <laughs> uh, but That's so funny. Yeah. You know, I, I think um, the Air Force has started this trend where they're putting the data from, like, the uh, their their annual physical questionnaire, you know, for us as a PHA. Okay. Um, like, personal health assessment, physical. I should probably know what that acronym is, but... Either way, you fill out this this questionnaire, and one of them concerns like your alcohol use. Now, the problem with the Air Force's method of you know determining how many people drink is that one, it's part of your health exam, and if you answer incorrectly, because there is an incorrect you know area, you you get sent to uh, their um, you know alcohol and drug abuse counselors. So it's not a system that incentivizes people to be, be honest, but there's these things where it's like, um, airmen between the ages of 18 and 24, uh, say they drink 86% of airmen say they drink three drinks or less when they drink. Cause that's the yeah. lowest, <laughs> that's, that's the question of, that's the answer above never, which yeah. is so funny to me because like, you know, how many drinks do you, do you consume, you know, at a time? Well, the answer is one to three. You know, you don't want to put never because you don't want to, you don't want to be a liar. I mean, you're lying right, anyway, right. but, but it's so but funny, man. You don't, you don't want somebody to catch you in the lies. Yeah. Really yeah, exactly. Like, ah, I'll be a little honest here, but, but it's so yeah. funny, man. Uh, I've seen those statistics and, and they'll pop up on like, what the fuck army moments. Yeah, Facebook, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Where it's like 86% of the army doesn't drink and it's like bull fucking <laughs> shit. Uh, like, let's be real here. Uh, I didn't start drinking and drinking heavily until I got in the army. I mean, I, I had a couple nights where I drink heavy before I joined the army. Of course, I mean, ocean Springs party, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, can you really say you're from ocean Springs if you didn't puke at least once, uh, from drinking? Um, but yeah, it, uh, and that, that (laughs) it's funny because that's always a story I tell, um, about the first time I put a dip in, and it was also kind of the first night, well, it was the first night I ever got intoxicated drunk. Um, over, at, over at one of my buddy's house, because uh, his front yard was where we partied. I'm not going to say his name. Um, but Maybe we, offline. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we used to go over to his house all the time, pull out the lawn chairs, drink. You know, he'd have 
probably six six personal vehicles in front of his house mm-hmm. at one point in time uh, that that didn't belong to the people that lived in the house. Um, but one of my friends had just gotten he just you know cracked open a, a nice can of skull apple um and this was like right when skull apple was kind of brand new um and and i just remember drinking i was drinking captain and coke and i think it was an ocean springs home game okay so uh, i'm at the game we'd go out to the car drink some come back in the game Go back out, drink some, go back into the game. I gotta tell you, I feel like I feel like I know this night. <laughs> I legitimately do because I, 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 man, I feel like you were wearing like a tan tan jacket. <laughs> like I, I wasn't associated with you. I just I, I, I had seen like you, you and this group of group of guys like constantly getting up and 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 leaving. And I always thought that was odd. Yeah, we we were we were going out to the car and and getting a couple rips, uh, and then we'd come back in and hell uh, yeah. Then then we the, the Ocean Springs ended up winning, I think, and then we ended up going to my buddy's house, and I remember just continuing to drink, and then all of a sudden I ran out of Coke, so I didn't have any Coca Cola to mix my 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 captain. But you are a problem solver. But I'm a problem solver. <laughs> And uh, somebody had Bud Light, so I mixed Bud Light and Captain Morgan. Go on, um, and and I kept drinking. Um, and proud of you. <laughs> and so I'm to the point of where Captain and Bud Light doesn't taste bad, you know, because I've drank so much during this day. Um, and I want to say because it was a brand new bottle, and I was probably in like the last bit of it. Um, and my buddy, one of, one of the other people that were there, said, hey, man, let me get a dip. Are you sure? Yeah, man, come on. So he packs it for me. I get a nice rip, you know, got this big old chew in. And I'm still drinking. And then about 15 minutes go by, I think, and somebody says, hey, Pat, what happened to that dip? And I'm like, what dip? And as soon as that came out of my mouth, I'm instantly just projectile vomiting like you swallowed it oh yeah yeah that was the first time i ever dipped was uh was a pretty much the first night i got completely intoxicated at at a football game threw up everywhere um yeah and then i mean that was history but the army was nothing in comparison like the army was 10 times that when i turned 21 man i was putting down bottles of 151 in a night bro like i felt like when i woke up i had a hole in my stomach from drinking so much 151 and i would drink it straight i didn't care it was like an animal yeah it was it was it was you know get a nice chug slap my my uh my buddy ross in the face and say why'd you let me do that and then do it again do it again yeah isn't that wild Man, I, I remember flying, uh, we, we, we did an around-the-world mission. Um, so we, we originated in California going east. We would return in, in California from the west. I flew with this flight engineer. This is while I was on C-5s. I flew with this flight engineer, uh, this, this Asian guy. And we never saw him go to a liquor store, but he put down a bottle of Jim Beam every <laughs> night. So he must have packed them in. But I'll tell you, we were in Japan and, uh, you know, we've got this rule like you can't drink eight hours prior to your alert. 
And so your alert is when you get called to actually go to your jet and you got a sequence of about four hours that, that allows you to get, uh, get like, get dressed, get to the plane, do a pre-flight and get ready to take off. Okay. So it's eight hours prior to alert, 12 hours prior to take off. So we say 12 hours bottled throttle, you know? Um, and so that, that time frame is called the window. That's, that's, that's like the, the window you can't drink. And we were just, we, we were in a hotel room, just putting them back, you know, having a good time. And we, and, and we got to the point and the aircraft commander's in there and we're like, ah, well, I guess we got to start, stop drinking. And then we always do this thing where when the AC's in there, we'll, we'll, ah, oh, yeah, we got to stop drinking. And then we'll look at them, you know, <laughs> and, see if, and see if he's okay, because there've, there've been pilots who have done that. And this was one of those nights, man, we drank for another four hours. So, so four hours later, we get alerted. We go out to the jet. Everybody's still hammered. Everybody. And uh, we get on. The, the aircraft commander's like, okay, look, we're going to put power on. We're going to take 30 minutes. Everybody get on oxygen. So we sat there and just breathed oxygen for 30 minutes. And it, and it works. Like, it does bring you clarity. It definitely helps. Um, but, yeah, then we, then we flew from Japan to, <laughs> to California. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Anybody yak? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Now, I, I've also been on missions where, so there's, there's guard units, and this was at Minneapolis, St. Paul, and they have to train on aeromedical, um, uh, like aeromedical units have to train on all the different types of aircraft, but they don't have the aircraft there. So what they'll do is they'll fly a plane in, we'll stay there for, for a couple days, and they do all the training on it for their currency, right? Uh, so we flew in and, and we have to bring, we have to bring an aeromedical team also to train them. Right. And when you, when you have an aeromedical unit loaded on a plane, they have to bring all their supplies, IV bags. And you probably know where I'm going with this, mm-hmm. but, uh, we had a, we had a one star on the plane and he was the, uh, commander of the reserve wing out at, out at Travis. Great dude. Great dude. And so we went out that night drinking had a great time and we get out to the uh to the jet the next morning and <laughs> the aeromedical crew can see that we've been we've been partying you know and they're like hey look guys uh, we can give you guys ivs you know and that'll help uh because like we throw them away whenever we get back home and we're like yeah we'll do that so so i'm out there like dragging a fuel hose like <laughs> To, to hook it up to the plane to refuel it while I'm holding this IV bag <laughs> above me so I can get the IV. Yeah. yeah, crazy shit, man. Yeah, it's, uh, man, there were a lot of barracks nights where uh, stuff like that was going on. I think I heard a story of a guy I was that, that took an IV to the, to the peen. Um, what? Yeah. That For what? Just, just to do just it. Just to do it? Yeah. I mean, you're talking infantry dudes, man. Like you're talking the That's craziest next level of the crazy. savagery, man. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely some weird stuff going on, um, and did, it, that was normal. Like he, that was a normal. Did he take the whole thing. bag? I'm pretty sure. He might have benefited from that in the short term. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, I've gotten I, a bag. Be like, all right, guys, I'm, fellas, I'm, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm not. I'm not sure the the full story of it, but I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that was one of the things he either tried to or he did take an IV bag to the peen. Um, I mean, there's a vein there, so I mean, it it should work in theory. So, um, yeah, 
I mean, there, there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened in the barracks. Uh, one of the guys that, that reported to me, his roommate was in the sniper section. Um, and, and it's crazy because, you know, I, I talked to, to, to his roommate. I talked to both of them a lot. Um, the, the guy who's in the sniper section is actually in, in the uh, police department in right outside Columbus, Ohio. So, so we, we talk quite often and, and yeah. sometimes we see each other. Um, and then his roommate was, was my driver pre-deployment so mm-hmm. i was his vehicle commander he was my driver um so i would have to do room inspections oh god and <laughs> well so 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 the sniper his roommate always had a clean room okay like it didn't look like he even slept in it probably didn't no probably he did he did ghosted it oh, okay he did um <clears throat> but my my driver his room was always a shit show like they smoked in his room, they drank in his room, they'd play rock band in his room till three in the morning, kind of shit. Uh, and and you would just go into his room for room inspection. And you're like, Jesus Christ, dude! Like, what the hell? Like his his carpets covered in stains. I, I'm pretty sure he had like a, a a rug that he would roll out over his carpet to where he didn't have to worry about the stains when he, when there was a room inspection. Uh, like something in my mind, like is triggering. There was a carpet on the ground. Like there, there was a rug that he rolled out, uh, so he didn't have to clean these stains up. Um, but yeah, they're, they're so they're as as a roommate team. Their idea was if one of our rooms are clean, if there is a battalion wide or a company wide room inspection, uh, you can clean your room and focus on your room for the first fifteen minutes get your room spotless or clean enough and I can clean the common area because I don't have to clean my room. My room's already good. Uh, and that was their routine and they made it work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not unintelligent. Yeah. My roommate and I (laughs) did not live by those rules. My roommate had, uh, man, he wouldn't, so so right when the quad stack came out for Burger King, we had a Burger King right across the street. Yeah. The quad stack came out. He would he would probably put down two quad stacks as a meal. Hell yeah. And and not worry about it. Like his metabolism was was so freaking grand. Lucky you know? son of a bitch. Yeah, he was one of those like <laughs> one of those guys, you know, that that you're like fuck genetics i know man <laughs> you know? like uh but yeah he he could he could slam fast food like no other and and still be in perfect physique uh not not saying that it was only metabolism because the dude worked out and and you could tell he took care of himself but right uh his room was always covered in spit bottles fast food bags to-go meals you know all that kind of shit was just his room his entire room it was one day, I, I can't remember why, but I, I didn't do the dishes. And I cooked because we, we had, you know, the common area. So yeah. my, my parents bought me all this. You know, when they came to visit, they, they got all these uh, plates and uh, Tupperware and, you know, uh, pots and pans and stuff. You know, they, they definitely hooked it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I remember the sink was full of dishes and we put it all in the oven. To make it look like we uh, had a clean common area, yeah. And you I just got to do, man. 
I just remember cleaning out the oven afterwards, and it was a shit show because uh, there was like water and food debris from what was in the sink and now it's in the bottom of my oven you know (laughs) just was not a good time uh just because we yeah we man we we live life dangerously yeah uh, to say the least (laughs) well when you're when you're in when you're young in the dorms i mean that's just i mean that's what you do and and one thing i noticed and i was one of these like my dad didn't spend much time like kind of teaching me the home economics side of living i kind of i kind of picked a lot of it up on on my own i didn't i didn't have a i think i had some good well i spent most of my time at somebody else's house uh where they had like kind of a normal you know family or whatever so so i got to you know see that but um yeah man a lot of people they just they don't they weren't shown they weren't told how to how to kind of make a home livable you know, if, if that makes sense. No, I, I get it. Yeah. Um, I think what, I mean, I definitely, my, my folks definitely raised me and Ben when, like we were doing laundry at like the age of 11. Like yeah. we were doing the family laundry kind of thing. Right. Separating in colors and like we did the whole shebang. So, okay. so I was, my roommate, well, <coughs> excuse me, mm, swallowed some spit there. There you go. Um, <laughs> My roommate was one of those, put all the clothes in the washer, uh, and it doesn't matter if, if they're separated or not. Well, I, I, I remember one day him getting all his whites turning pink, mm-hmm. um, and I just kind of laughed at him. Classic. And, classic and, mistake. Yeah. And, and that, that it happens. Uh, and, and then, of course, you know, the next day, I ended up washing my ACUs with a pen in the pocket or something like that. Yeah. So it was like he's laughing at me, you know, it, it, and that was like a, a frequent thing was like we were just kind of figuring out life, even though having folks that were definitely check the pockets for pens, you know, right. they, they were all about, you know, making sure uh, the, those kind of mistakes didn't happen, especially with laundry. Yeah. Uh, but they did quite often. Yeah. And, and probably, I mean... Now I don't have that problem because I never really carry around pins, mm-hmm. but I always make sure to empty my pockets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> small, small things. Small, uh, small life tips, life hacks. Not, life not, hacks, not trying to look for my keys in my wallet. Uh, um, you know, the next day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I get it, man. And uh, my, we'll say, workplace conflict I had to deal with was a subordinate um, just had a real messy room, and when I say real messy, like the worst fucking room I've ever seen. Uh, I got called in for it and I walked in and like, you couldn't take a clean step. There were, they were like, he, <laughs> to his credit, he did put things in trash bags, but he had those damn trash bags, full, full trash bags, just tied up sitting in his room and not even in like a corner, just randomly placed pizza boxes everywhere. You know, the usual, like, you know, bottles of alcohol that are, that are empty. He had empty pill casings by his, uh, by his, uh, by a sink and so what i think he was doing was he was medicating himself to sleep but drinking you know like a shitload and then prior to going to work you know every night he would uh you know he would take like benadryl or something and and go to sleep so and i noticed this about it and and i was actually um for like six months or so i i kept having random conversations about like man i i like dropping subtle hints too like hey man try not to drink so much this weekend you know that sort of thing. And he never told me that he drank at all. 
but I just I could see it. You know, his face is red and flushed in the morning. His eyes are still glossed over. You know. Yeah. Those 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 details. And frankly, I I knew what to look for because I mean I was somebody who drank a lot. You know, I knew yeah. what it looked like. Yeah, I definitely lived the uh, I call it the up, uppers and downers life. Uh, you know, early in the morning you're chugging energy drinks. Mm-hmm. At night, you're you're taking sleep aids to to pass yeah. out, uh, and then in between was was nothing but alcohol, um, and and of course, I mean that happened. Uh, I want to say that happened probably post deployment more so than before. Uh, energy drinks were definitely something I drank a lot of while in the army. Um, rippets. Tell me what you know about well, rippets. So rippet rippets <laughs> were were Afghanistan only, uh, and and it's kind of been a a, um, a treat I've given myself anytime I, I pass a gas station that I'm fairly certain is going to have them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, that would probably be. Uh, I'm not going to say which gas stations would normally have them because I think some would probably claim that's racist or prejudice to, to point out which which ones have them and which ones don't uh but yeah um rippets are very they've almost got a cult following in the military yeah well i mean they're, I get they're very high in, in in sugar and yeah. of course rouse has had them last time i was here really uh yeah they had oh, like a whole display 99 cents um uh the last time i was here uh, I didn't see him this time when I went in, but of course I was kind of on a mission, so I wasn't really looking for rippets, um, even though I probably should have. But uh. <laughs> I, I loaded up on him when, uh, you know, when I'd be flying on a mission or whatever, and and we had this thing where you would, uh, anytime you drank a a rippet, you had to uh, you had to do this thing where you rip it, woo, yeah. You know, like <laughs> Yeah, uh, but of course the the cans were the small cans. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You, you like had like the little six or eight six, ounce yeah. uh, cans, uh, as opposed to, you know, the now they're what sixteen ounces here. Yeah, I think I think the normal cans <clears throat> are twelve, so it, it, it must have been six six ounces. I'm thinking, but um, yeah, it was man. It was iconic. Of like, if you knew what a rip it was, it was it was like a secret handshake. If you got excited about a rippet or, or, or you had a rippet, I could assume you were deployed. Yeah. And, and, that and was, with a high degree of accuracy. And that was, um, that was probably one of the things we talked about the most pre-deployment from, from the people who had previously been on deployment was wait until you guys have a rippet, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing beats a cold rippet on a hot Afghani day, yeah. you know? Um, but, uh, yeah. And they were it, everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, any any chow hall you went to, they would have cases of them. And, of course, I'm pretty sure while we were at Wolverine, which is right outside Kalat, um, Fab Wolverine uh, in Afghanistan, um, I'm pretty sure I put down at least half a case of Rippets in one sitting. Uh, and, no problem. And, um, and I, I may have put down an entire case, uh, like one sitting just – feeling like i want to get super fucked up i don't know how to get fucked up there's no alcohol here i'm gonna make my freaking heartbeat like a a double bass pedal (laughs) um and and of course yeah you add rippets into adrenaline uh you know put on some metal music and and you're going to crazy crazy train yeah um but yeah it was uh rippets man yeah 
gotta love them. And, and of course, I'm I'm a fan of the red one, the power. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people would would be sugar free. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to drink one unless it's sugar free. Nah. The blue one. No. And then you had the yellow one, which want, was the I want full leaded. Fr- I want racing fruity. fuel. Yeah. Give me the racing fuel. Yeah, that's, that's why you know. The, <laughs> If, I, if I'm drinking energy, I, I want the give me it all. You know, I, so you know, I don't really drink energy drinks, uh, but I would not pass up a rip it. Uh, you know, when I was deployed, if I saw them today, I would I would grab one too. Um, and it's not that I I need or want rippets. It's that for me, it's like it's a nostalgia thing. It's like coming back home and going to Ed's and getting a burger from Ed's. You know, or like there's something Po'boy Express. Po'boy Express. That's another good example. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For yeah, sure. there's there's definitely when I come, when I come here, and that was one of the things I kind of wanted to make sure I talked about. When when I come here to Ocean Springs, there are places I have to go to. Yeah, and and places that I always make sure anytime I'm here, I make a point to go. There was one time where I came here and Tato Nut was closed the entire time, mm. and man, I was heartbroken. I bet. Uh, and, and that was, I think, while I was in the army, um, and and I just remember going and seeing the sign like we're closed from this day to this day. I think they went on vacation, mm-hmm. and I was just like, man, this sucks, <laughs> you know? Because when when you're in Ocean Springs, you have to go to Tato yeah. Nut, you have to go to Put Boy Express. Yep, uh, the, the those were my two big hitters when I was in the army. El Saltillos was another one because it was it was difficult to. F- I mean, it, it feels like even now, it's difficult to find a solid Mexican restaurant, like yeah. Tex-Mex Mexican restaurant, mm-hmm. which is El Satillo is definitely Tex-Mex. And, and, and the detail for me that, that's important is the salsa. Like, like, what kind of salsa is it? Because I like, and, and this is something me and, me and my wife like look for in a Mexican restaurant. The food can be great. If the salsa's trash, we won't go back. Yeah. There's something about the salsa. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think, um, you know, the sweet tea for El Saltillo is it's definitely another good. thing that, yeah. that um, they just had, like, an, I don't know if they put some special kind of sugar in it. But, yeah, probably just uh, lots of sugar. Yeah, <laughs> well, definitely lots of it, but they, they had to put something addictive in there, like cocaine or something, <laughs> 100%. Um, they just sprinkled some crack on those. <laughs> but, yeah, El Saltillo's was, was definitely on my list, yep. and now... Um, Pobo Express, Toronto's was it for me, you know, for uh, for a while. But yeah, now I would say, um, what is it called? Um, the new bagel shop, uh, Low Market. Oh, okay. Low, I, Low Market is uh, is officially on my list, and so that will be my my shameless, uh, you know, throw out there. Low Market, okay. Um, downtown Ocean Springs, definitely a place to go. Um, and I think on Tuesdays or Wednesdays when they do their smash burgers, go there for a smash burger. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll check that out. And But their bagels are pretty freaking amazing, too. They have a, a chorizo breakfast bagel that's phenomenal. Um, I've, I tried. There's, there's a new, like, kind of, I guess you'd call it a fast food Mexican place uh, that's north. It's on Washington north of the bayou and it's on the left you're talking uh taco sombrero yes 
that's the one. Yeah. That place is delicious. It's like restaurant. It's near restaurant quality, but it's like in a fast food. Yeah. I, I've, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, uh, so I like that place too. I, I won't necessarily say it's on my list of places. I no, go to, no, it's just a good place. But, yeah. I mean, everybody that knows me knows that, that I call it taco Bay. Um, that's taco bell. Uh, then everybody that knows me knows I love taco bell. Uh, but yep. yeah, taco sombrero same girl, same. is definitely, I'll go to Taco Sombrero when I'm here because I don't really go to the Taco Bell here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe it's because I just I try to stay away from fast food. If I do fast food here, it's more like the Whataburger. Yeah. Because there's know, no Whataburgers in Ohio. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Taco Bell in, in Columbus, Ohio, we usually have some of the trial stuff that they're doing that they're pushing. Oh, okay. Um same with Wendy's. Wendy's will do their trial stuff because they're based out of Columbus. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, Interesting. And, and, I mean, just mass population area. Why not throw some, hey, we're going to check out the scorpion pepper burrito thing. Is that a thing? It was. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if the Taco Bell here had it, but, Mm-mm. yeah, we, we had some scorpion pepper burrito, and then they had, like, scorpion pepper fries. So they're trying to do a scorpion pepper line. <laughs> I think so. Kind of like I, how they did the I Doritos mean, this, thing. This was like probably a year and a half ago when they did it. And, of course, uh, you know, since people who n- know that I love Taco Bell so much, they ask me, what's, what, what are these new <laughs> items that they're going to be coming out with? Are you like the subject matter expert of like... <laughs> like the, well, so I'm, I'm really Taco knowledgeable Bell? in beer, Taco Bell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me just go through my list of yeah. accomplishments here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, now I... So, so from what I understand, they, they're losing a lot of things on the menu, but you can still create them by making them. You know, like, hey, you can do a quesarito by ordering this item on the menu and saying you want this instead of that. Um, okay. So, so there are things that, that you, can, you can do as far as making the, the, the items that they're losing there are things that you can do to make them. Um, but from what I understand, one of the things that they're bringing to Taco Bell is a boneless chicken. I don't know why they want to try what? it. But uh, from what I understand, they're, they're... Like a whole chicken? No, like, like boneless uh, chicken wings. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, okay. Uh, and, and if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because none of the <laughs> other fast food joints are doing it. Um, as far as like... Maybe KFC, I think, might have some boneless chicken wings. Interesting. But, but nothing like Buffalo Wild Wings type yeah. chicken wings. Um, and, and Taco Bell came out with the fries, and a lot of people love those. I was not a fan. But, of course, I'm, I'm not going to Taco Bell for french fries or fries in general. You purist. I, I know, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my, my go-to is always whatever box meal they have. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if I don't do that, then I'll just get some cheesy bean and rice burritos. Oh, man. I like that. That's, I'm, <laughs> and, and I'm not a vegetarian or anything, but those things just smash. They're just good. Yeah. And yeah, there's something about bean and cheese, man. You, you throw some some of the hot sauce. I, I, I only do the hot sauce. I don't do fire. I don't do Diablo. I've tried them. Not really my style. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I, I love hot sauce. Um, Taco Bell hot sauce what I ask for. Or I go home and use... This stuff called Palo Alto firefighters, um, and it. I was introduced. It sounds familiar, but maybe because I lived in California. I was yeah, and 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 it's it's a so it's a, f- a firefighter 
that decided to grow peppers in the back of, of the fire department. And he started making a fire, uh, a hot sauce. Um, and of course they have their regular pepper sauce. They have a habanero and they have a ghost pepper. They're all three delicious. The mm. pepper sauce is, is my go-to for Taco Bell. And I'm just toss it on there and I'm good to yeah. go. When um, you get back to Ohio, man, you gotta, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll Venmo you some honey, man. If you want to send me some. Well, you can you can get it off Amazon. Oh yeah, good, yeah, good call. It's, it's, yeah. That's where I get mine. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, it's it's. I'll, uh, I'll just do that. It's uh, it's solid hot sauce too. Um, the I would recommend probably going the pepper, and then you know if you like it, try the habanero. Yeah, and then if you want, get the pe- uh, get the ghost pepper. Dude, I'm 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 full throttle uh, when it when it comes to hot stuff. Th- but you taste uh, my salsa. <laughs> so so the uh, the ghost pepper uh, Palo Alto, I actually put it in. Um, biscuits and gravy mm. one time and my roommate at the time he's no longer my roommate but my roommate said that he will never have uh sausage gravy that's red because the the, the pepper turned it red i right? turned yeah i turned mine red you know and when i you know because i put a shitload of hot sauce in mine. yeah well i i cooked it in there and he was like he's like crying and snotting all over the place and i'm just like bro this is it's real, man. This is yeah. really good. Yeah. And he's like, it's good, but it's so hot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and, of course, uh, he was like, I'm never having it again. He went to a, a music festival with his, his girlfriend at the time. They came back, and they, they tell me this story of uh, a guy they were camping with. Said, yeah, I make, uh, biscuits and gra- I'll make biscuits and gravy in the morning, but just so you know, they're, they're hot. And he was like, oh, shit. He's like, man, if they're red, I'm not touching them. <laughs> Ended up, he was just using Jimmy Dean hot sausage. Gotcha. And, of gotcha. course, Ohio is not known for, for having a, a, a palate for, for the hotter things in life. Or, or championships. Hey, first college football <laughs> playoff. First college football playoff, baby. Um, this last year... I got a buddy of mine who's Probably a, who's a have, big Ohio State fan, so it's 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 always fun to fun to talk shit because because I know he's going to listen to this too. So well, it was it was fun seeing your profile picture as uh, I know right uh, as as an Ohio State fan, you know, making making you do that was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm happy to do that. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was a good good night. Of course, yeah. right now my Facebook is is disabled facebook That's decided so to what do you think uh, happened so i think what happened is probably you know i like to troll you know i like to get i just got out of pressure. one uh, today yeah uh, i got, I, got uh, I like to check people's blood pressure um <laughs> and i think what happened is the person couldn't you know report me for anything other than them being upset so they just decided to say it was a fake name <sighs> nice. uh or or a person imitating somebody um. So yeah, I'm waiting for them to review my identification. Of course, it got kicked back at three thirty in the morning last night, saying it wasn't, it didn't fit. So I'm like, I don't know what you guys want. Like my ID says Patrick A. Mortensen. I know my. Uh, so they're not giving you your your profile back right now. I, I I'll wait. Uh, if they reject this one, I'll take a picture of my birth certificate that actually says Patrick Alexander Mortensen. Uh, as opposed to Patrick A. That's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it, uh, it must be just in the sort of algorithmic step. 
you know, it, it might be just somewhere where it's where um, the algorithm's designed to just kind of vet it, and then it'll get escalated to an actual individual. Yeah, but I mean. it's been, I mean, so Friday night at about 9.30 was when it happened, uh, when I logged on Facebook, and it said... Facebook employees can have a weekend too, Patrick. Hey, not when you're <laughs> kicking me off and I'm in the middle of a vacation. You know, I'm, I'm not in Ohio, so I got shit to share. Right. I'm, I'm 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 trying to figure out where people are. I'm trying to figure out what people are doing. People yeah. are also talking well, to me, and of course, you, you know, I mean, you yeah. experienced it. How you got a back channel to try and figure out what the hell happened? Where did he go? Mm-hmm. You know, we're having a conversation on Facebook. Then all of a sudden. I'm not there. Yeah. You have to message my brother, get my phone number, him, and you know. And it, it's, it, it's not just that, but it was like my, my immediate thought was, I hope he's okay. And, and I can't understand why I thought, like, your life might be in danger because <laughs> you didn't have a profile anymore. Well, yeah, it was. Uh, and, and, of course, I woke up the next morning, and I'm like, hey, oh, Dad, uh, so this happened. And my dad's like, wow, yeah, it's like you don't even exist anymore. And I'm like, but I'm here. Yeah. But I'm here. Yeah. You know, hopefully the simulation doesn't take me away. I know, you know? man. Uh, like, that's that's how it starts. Please, You're gonna please, get Lizard King Mark Zuckerberg, don't take <laughs> me away. Uh, <laughs> I'm a real boy, you know? So, so let me ask this, man. You, you work in, you work in uh, IT, yep. essentially? Yep. What do you think of this whole, you know, Trump banning uh, TikTok? Uh, so, it's a difficult thing. Because a lot of people are going to say it, it's First Amendment stuff, but you got to realize that when it comes to social media, you're on their platform kind of thing. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like a, a, the reason why. So, so I guess that's where we probably need to start. Yeah, the yeah. reason why he wants to ban it. I don't know if it's actually banned yet. I don't know. But the reason why he wants to ban it is because... Um, the amount of information that that they feel the Chinese government or that they've proven that the Chinese government is getting from Americans it's it's not a secret like that the TikTok company is like they're they're connected directly to the to the Chinese government yeah and yeah. of course uh, you know the the DOD excuse me the DOD sent out an email to all their employees saying that they couldn't have it on their phones mm-hmm. uh, whether it was government phone uh, and. It's it's embedded in 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 the actual coding of the application, from what I understand. So, if Google or whoever purchases TikTok, they're basically going to have to scrap the entire code for this whole leashing that goes into the Chinese government. So there's there's a lot of stuff that would have to happen if a purchase does go through. But, of course, if a purchase goes through, do you really think people are going to want to keep TikTok? Um, I think the way that our social media is now, it's kind of sketchy altogether anyways. Uh, and, of course, I'm getting a new phone on Friday. So that was another thing that, you know, I've already talked to my folks about. Like, I'm not putting Facebook on my new phone. Really? I want to I get away from it. Okay. Uh, so this kind of – and that was something I talked to my folks before um, was that – I mean, I've been thinking about getting rid of Facebook for a while anyways. Um, and it, it, it's, it's become kind of muscle addiction where I know exactly where on my phone to hit to open the app. Uh, and I'll do it multiple times. Yeah. Just to get that quick dopamine fix. Yeah. You know, yep. like, oh, man, how many likes did I get? Yeah. You know, oh, man, I hope, I hope somebody commented, oh, how many people like the picture of my dog kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it's gotten to a point now where it's like I don't have football. 
you know, football might not happen for me as a, as a Buckeye fan. Yeah. I have a, an election that I don't like either of the two primary candidates. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to read all these people post about who they like and who they don't like. And, of course, all you think of all the aspects of social media, and it's just frustrating you got too many people who think covid is is like the end of the world and then you got too many people who thinks it don't even exist did you see what i posted about like the actual um rate of uh like the actual death rate yeah 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 the, the statistics of it and yeah it's it's not like everyone keeps touting that it's 0.011 percent it's actually not because you have to compare like i i just had this thought and and i i can't believe that we're calculating the numbers incorrectly like like we're taking deaths versus active cases and it's not the way to do it that's the only way you can come up with like a 0.011 percent of uh of the actual death rate you know you i you thought they were taking it from the amount of total people that are in america in general and then oh that'd be even worse but but that's the way i thought that the death okay so the chances of me dying from covid is this and the reason why is because they're taking people who haven't even had COVID and adding them into the mm-hmm. numbers. Right. You know? Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, it's a, you know, if, if death is a totality consequence, then you have to take the totality of totalities and, you know, um, the other, you know, totality would be that you recover. So you have to take people that were infected and recovered, add them to those that were infected and died, and then take what you know what what percentage of those of of that amalgam of people actually you know dies and it turns out that it's not 0.01 percent it's six percent now does it mean anything different it might because right because before it was a one in 600 chance right now it's one in 20 and well and then for me the thing that worries me the most is what kind of long-lasting effects is it going to have on the lungs yeah, uh, on on other health aspects down th- the road. I think there was a one of the people who got infected in the NBA. You know, their their trainers are saying that he still doesn't have his endurance back. Yeah, like he he went through it, got through it fine, but he he's he's having a hard time with his endurance, and so it's possible that there might be long term ramifications to like your 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 lungs and your you know cardio. Ability. Yeah, and and that's I think that's something that a lot of people, whether they believe it or not, you know, it's going to catch you. It, it could catch you. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, military, infantry, there's always a sadistic state of mind for us. Um, you know, and, and my idea has always been since Afghanistan, if death wants me, death's going to get me. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily tempt death, but I'm also not going to shy away from it. Yeah. Because I know it's going to happen. If, you know, it could happen. Me walk outside and and a giant pile of shit from an airplane falls down and kills me. You know, just some Joe Dirte shit. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. You, you you never like. There's always a possibility of some freak accident occurring. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, I mean, four. They they said uh, statistics show that f- that four people in a year are going to die putting their pants on. Four people a year. I could be one of those four people. You know. Yeah. So my, you know, one of the things that I said is you kind of got a couple options here. You can either continue to be the possibility of those, one of those four people. You can pay somebody to put your pants on for you. <laughs> you can walk around naked all the time. That's not a bad option either. So 
I mean, it, it's like, what, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah. If you could be one of those four, just putting your pants on, you're going to die. I made an impact on a guy who's um, wealthy in the area, and he, he's one of these people who just knows how to make money. You know, he's got a bunch of different companies. Uh, he comes into the bank and, and, and does wires all the time for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he, uh, I was just having small talk with him, and I was like, you know, they, they found, and this was, this was last, last month, and it was like a couple days after reading, reading this paper, and the paper was about how they, they know that UV light, specifically UVC light, is uh, is very effective against the virus. In like eight minutes of exposure to UVC light, it kills ninety percent of the virus, or ninety percent of detectable viral particles. At twenty five minutes, it's ninety nine percent UVC UVC light. UVC light is the li- is the light that's uh, found in um, tanning beds. So you have to wear glasses to get in a tanning bed because the UVC light actually penetrates past the uh, uh, moisture barrier of your eyes and it burns your retinas. Um, it also damages your skin, right? But what they found was there's a spectrum uh, on, uh, on the wavelength of UVC light. I think it's 220 nanometers. And they, that spectrum called far UVC light um, actually does not penetrate the moisture barrier of the eye and does not damage past the top uh, dead layer of skin on your, on your skin. And so they actually, they recommend basically in the paper that those types of lights are put in buildings. Now, think about this situation. And I've, I've actually been trying to get in touch with um, the, uh, the superintendent of Ocean Springs to have a discussion about well, just to talk about how, how they've responded to COVID because I'm of the personal opinion, not having kids, so you know, I'll probably take some shit for saying this, that they've done a good job. Personal opinion, you know? Um, but, you know, imagine if you could take every other light in a school and replace it with, with these bulbs. How low risk could you make school just, just by that change? Would people no longer have to wear, wear masks? I mean, you, you, you essentially created creating a um, hospital-like sterilization uh, in the school at all times. Yeah, I don't, that's, uh, I, I haven't heard anything about that, but it sounds definitely interesting. I know that, that uh, in Ohio, we had the, I guess, the, the mask, uh, you know, how they were cleaning the masks. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. was, that was one of the things that... Ohio, they were saying, hey, this is a job opportunity for us to clean all these masks and make the PPV or what a PEV, I don't know, what, whatever the masks are. Uh-huh. Uh, I think for, it's PVP. For, for the hospitals, they could just toss them all in this truck, you know, this Connex, like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and turn these lights on and kill all these germs. Yeah. Well, well, that's what hospitals do, actually. And and of course, they they said, yeah, you could do that, but you can only do this many. And it was like, but you're restricting us, and you're causing more problems by putting a cap on what we can do. Hmm. Uh, I wonder why that was. No telling, man. Yeah. Uh, This the COVID, man. COVID's just a it's a weird thing. It's definitely the the way that I have described it is it's this generation's 9-11 it's going to change the way we do things and, and i'm not saying like as, as an attack because i don't know 
I don't know if it was Wuhan making this shit. I'm I'm not gonna say it is. It appears That's not that my it's place. probably yeah. The 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 you know the podcast I listened to with I think it was Brett Brett Weinstein on uh, Joe Rogan's where so so he's a um, he's a biologist and and he said that one of the things that's really unique is that it doesn't do well outdoors. It's very susceptible to sunlight. So that's really important to notice because viruses, like, they have to evolve, like, in different areas. You know what I mean? And the fact that this is very, uh, it seems to do very well indoors and not well outdoors seems to suggest that it was always kept indoors. And you got to ask, why would somebody keep a virus long-term allowing it to evolve in the way that it did indoors? Well, it must be it must have been, you know, synthesized in that way. Yeah. You know? uh, and of course it's an organic process. So synthesized might not be the right word, but I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah. The, well, the, the reason why I say it's this generation's nine eleven is yeah. because nine eleven changed everything for us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the way we travel and, you know, security and whatnot. I mean, for, for the coast, you could say this is, this is this generation's Katrina. Katrina. Yeah. Uh, cause, cause Katrina definitely, or, or the oil spill, whichever, whichever yeah. you consider more catastrophic sure, as far as w- what changed the way that the coast ran. Um, yeah. but on the national level, the world yeah, level, global. this yeah. is, this is definitely a nine 11 type, mm. uh, as far as things are going to change. I mean, y- you look at, how we flew pre nine eleven and post nine eleven. Look at how we're flying now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when this first started, I had a conversation with somebody at work. I was fixing his computer, uh, and he's a like some stock exchange guy that works mm-hmm. for our company. And uh, I said that you know this is going to change the way we you know the the standard of work for America. Yeah, and yeah. he's like. I never. I mean, this this is March when I'm telling this guy this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, this isn't going to be some two week and it's and it's disappeared. And and I knew that in March. Like I knew this is going to be some long haul shit. I didn't. I didn't know it'd be this long. But I kind of had a feeling we're not going to be going to work for a while. Um, yeah. And the the thing I said is, you know, this is going to change how we as a company. And, of course, we talked about this right before. You said you wanted me to mention it. Um, my company is not going back to work until 2021. It's insane. Um, and they, they're going to phase people in. So it'll be probably a, Hopefully. F- a four-phase yeah. wave. You know? so, so phase one would probably be uh, people that have to physically sign things, you know, have to physically be there. Of course, there are some people in the building. Uh, but it's very limited amount, probably less than a hundred. Uh, and and on a normal work day, pre COVID, we're talking probably a couple thousand people in in the in the building. Um, I mean, my my company has about fifteen thousand to twenty five thousand employees. Wow. That, I mean, so fifteen thousand employees. I think I think when, once you add in the contractors and stuff, we're we're up to about twenty five thousand. Okay. Um, but I think it's going to be a long time before my group is told, hey, come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, being IT, we're kind of the last group I would that think needs so. to be in because we could do a lot of our stuff remote. And that's mm-hmm. why I've been here for so long is because my boss was like, yeah, I mean, if you can work 
in your apartment in Ohio, why can't you work from somewhere in Mississippi? I'm inclined to agree, man. I, I, I went and interviewed at, at Ingalls uh, back in back in like April, I think. It was for, for a project management uh, position. And so at Ingalls, have, have you ever been on the Ingalls campus? They've got these massive administration buildings. Like, I think there were three of them. Might have been two. I don't know. But that's where all the administrative side of shipbuilding happens. And when I walked in there, again, it was a massive building. And then we were, I think, on the top floor. And you walk in and and there's like 80 or 90 cubicles, right? But they're all empty. And there's offices on the edge of the wall as well. And those are mostly empty. Those are more of your managers, you know? Uh but I walked in there and I told the guy, I was like, man, I would bet this, this room is a dull roar on a normal day. He goes, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, and I was like, what are your thoughts, man? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this, you know, from, from the perspective of y'all are still building ships. You're still fixing ships, you know? Why do you need this big-ass building here anymore, you know? Like, dump it. Have, have, have people work from home. And I thought about that further and I thought like, man, I'll bet you this is going to change just commercial real estate. Because why not just say, just have a building where you literally just rent out conference rooms and cubicles. Yeah. That's it, you know? And so people come in, if you have to do something face-to-face, you just rent out the conference room. If you have to get some work done, because maybe, maybe it's the summertime, you know, and kids are home, you can't really work there. Well, maybe you can rent out for three months a cubicle and make that your own, you know? I don't know. Yeah, in, in Columbus, Ohio, we have some, some uh, buildings that are like that. Oh, really? Where, where people can rent uh, a cubicle space or an office, and, and that's where they go work if they want to. Yeah, I think that's going to be more, more commonplace, honestly. Yeah, I think uh, so. One of the places that if you look in, in Ocean Springs, it could happen is probably the old Dee Dee's dress shop. You could probably Dee Dee's do something dress like shop. that. Where's that at? Right. Um, is that by Castaways? It, yeah. Okay, right gotcha. That's, um, that's where the uh, Malicious used to be. Uh, over in that little circle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, that, that could probably be a pretty good um, office space rental kind of thing. I've been looking into <laughs> office space on the off chance that, that uh, you know, this, this, this podcast does anything. And uh, I've thought about, I think what I'd do is I would get a building, but I would have multiple podcast rooms. And maybe maybe by then there'll be more people getting into it, and then they can, I'll just have have the mics. They just bring bring their own mixer in, and then they can uh, they can do they can just rent out the room. You know, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting thing to to think about. It. I mean, but I feel like a lot of people, aside from from the Joe Rogans, mm-hmm. they're not at that level. You know, maybe not, but I'll tell you, it's, it's a, I would, I would pay, I would pay like, you know, 15, 20 bucks an hour to be able to go into a place, you know, like I, I, you know, by the time this all said and done, I might, I don't know, five, five, six hours. I mean, I might do that just to, just to be able to have like kind of a nice, nice space. Cause you know, doing it out <laughs> in the garage, frankly, I'm going to be limited on who I can talk to. And my intent honestly was to be mobile with this. Yeah. So, um, like, like Foads I did at, at his place, Michael beach, I did at his place. And my intent was to, you know, be at other people's you know places, but that second wave really hit. And I was like, okay, well I, I need to open up the garage, I guess. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you could have came to Heron Bayou, you know where it all started, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, it it's man, Rogan's just changed the way things work as yeah. far as podcasts. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, what he's he's coming up on like episode sixteen hundred or something th- like that. I think he gets a billion views a month. I, I believe it. Yeah, and and he does multiple um, multiple different types of podcasts too because he'll talk to uh, you know um, a, I guess an expert in their field. Yeah. Or an, another stand-up comedian, or sure. Post Malone. You know, Post yeah. Malone was the, was the recent one. I haven't seen it, but uh, you know, I saw his Instagram post about you know him thinking about when him and Post Malone had their podcast and how funny it was. But then he also does his podcast with the UFC fighters yeah. that that aren't under the the JRE yeah. umbrella. It's it's Joe Rogan and his MMA or UFC. Yeah. I whatever. forget what he calls those. Um, and then, of course, if he's not at a UFC fight, he'll also do a live yeah yeah the fight uh, nights fight night or or, or fight companion that's um, what he calls it yeah. which which is which is interesting to watch for me afterwards because I don't know about you but I don't watch it during yeah, yeah. Uh, with sports for me I've come to the point now where I don't even like going out to watch games mm. um, because there's it, it seems like there's always somebody that doesn't know what the hell they're talking about who's always in your ear, uh, you know, or, or you're at Buffalo Wild Wings watching a UFC fight and people are freaking out over a guy throw, just throwing a punch. He could whiff, and they're like, oh, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just watch pretty much by myself. Um, there is uh, – do you remember, like, the, the Budweiser Real, Real Men of Genius? Oh, yeah. My favorite one was was about that. It was like uh, the, they say those who can't uh, play coach and those who can't coach sit fifty rows back, shouting obscenities, <laughs> giving us game game winning advice like throw the ball or catch yeah. it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and so my one of the things that that kind of brought in into my mind how much I don't like being around people was was my old one of my old roommates from Ohio state was mm-hmm. messaging me about the possibility of when, the, when they released the big 10 schedule and how the game that's, that's Ohio state versus the Wolverines. Cause I don't say that, that other word. Uh, so when Ohio state plays the Wolverines, it's called the game. Uh, but the game was going to be moved to October. It's actually the same day as the Gaethje Khabib fight. Uh-oh. Uh, that was when the big 10 came out with their new schedule. And he was like, you know, he's messaging me and we're talking about it. And we're like, you know, I feel really good about the season. You know, we both felt really good about this Buckeyes team. Um, And he was like, you know, what's exciting about the game this year being moved is I don't have to be around my wife's family for the game. And he's like, they just don't understand that every play isn't going to be a touchdown. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, why are you running up the middle? Why aren't you throwing the ball? And it's like, you know, you're not always going to score a touchdown every play. Uh, But, of course, I feel like as as Ohio State fans, we kind of get spoiled in that, that we're supposed to win every game and we're supposed to score a lot of touchdowns. I feel feel like people that do that watch sports the way they watch their 8-year-old kids learning to play a sport. You know, like they're they're giving that kind of advice, you know, like in basketball, I, I coached uh, youth basketball this year with Brandon Bono and uh, it was it was my first year. So so I was just just an assistant coach. But 
it's interesting because you constantly have to remind them to do simple things because there's so much going on. The game's so complex for them at that point, you know, and I feel like that's like the parents are saying those, those types of things, like getting frustrated that a kid can't shoot a 30 foot jump shot, right. uh, you know, with any, any consistency. No, that's the fact that it can make it to the rim is, you know, pretty, pretty damn, yeah, pretty you know, impressive. astounding. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your eight year old is not Steph Curry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> First of all, an eight year old should be, his max range should be 15 feet. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. That's needs 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 to develop you know before anything else like you might be able to throw the ball 30 feet but uh your max effective range yeah it, it should be 50 yeah. yeah they should t- yeah they should talk about like you know basketball in your max effective range yeah yeah right uh That's but of awesome. course steph curry would be anywhere yeah he, dude i i don't i don't get it the he's guys, a great shooter man the guys like he could he he's so so last night during the the steep a fight uh-huh. uh rogan said uh, you know you could probably blindfold him and he would still fight it was right after uh dc poked him in the eye mm-hmm. uh and and rogan said you could blindfold steep a and he would I still think steep has got some eye issues too which is which is why it's a little worse but they're uh, worried he wouldn't be able to fight again i feel like curry's one of those guys too it you could blindfold him and he could probably make a shot it, Probably, I would. I would honestly put James Harden or Damian Lillard above him in that ability to just like somehow get a shot off. He's consistent for sure. He's the best shooter for sure. But but like, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I maybe I in, maybe it, in I the clutch. It. Maybe in the clutch. Yeah, yeah. yeah pr- for sure. I would probably put Dame or Harden. But if it's just like, hey man, just go out and make this full court shot. I don't want the ball in anybody else's hands. If it doesn't Fair matter, Fair if enough, it doesn't yeah. matter, why wouldn't you? Yeah. And, and I like, I mean, I remember him playing at Davidson, you know, and, and, and watching March Madness because I'm, I'm a huge March Madness geek. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I lived in the barracks, man, I had, so I had a 61-inch TV, I had a 32-inch TV, and I had my computer all rolling different games at one time. Uh, and that's, I, and, and I've been like that probably since, is just I like having multiple games going on and there's usually a team I'll I'll find uh pre March Madness that I'm like I I like this guy mm-hmm. you know like BYU with Jimmer Fredette Davidson with Steph Curry you had uh what Georgia State a couple years ago or Georgia Southern a couple years ago um with with the the coach's son playing mm-hmm. um you had Creighton with, with uh, I think his name was Dermont. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always just like some mid-major school with, with some beast of a kid who can just shoot yeah. on all cylinders. Yeah. Uh, and, and I like, those are the games that I'm like, man, this is the guy I want to watch. I want this guy to do something. Yeah. Um, and, and I love March Madness for that idea. And seeing Steph Curry being pretty much the only guy out of those groups that I've circled and said, I want to see this guy do well mm-hmm. and, and seeing him develop from when he first got the golden state, when Mark Jackson was coach and pretty much like Boa constricted him to the point of Steph couldn't even shoot a three pointer because Mark Jackson didn't want him to. Uh, and then he moves to Steve Kerr's head coach and it's like, Hey, you're free to do whatever you want. But of course, Steve Kerr's like, "What the hell are you doing?" And he makes the shot. 
you know, and it's like, <laughs> okay, Steph's going to Steph, yeah, you yeah, know. exactly. Uh, and I, that that's, I hate the Warriors. I, uh, let me get that out of the way. I hate the Warriors, but Steph Curry is a fun player to watch. Yeah, for sure. For uh, sure. And, and I rooted, I, I was, I was pro Cavs when, when it was them versus the Cavs. Uh, of course, living in Ohio, you kind of have to be. Yeah. But, of course, you know, Golden State didn't have any fans until 2012. <laughs> 20, well, t- probably 2014. Yeah. Really? Uh, and and I don't like Draymond Green. I don't, I don't know why. I, I, th- I think Draymond Green is a system player, and, and he, he, he's all right uh, there. But I, he's not a dominant scorer by any stretch of the imagination. He does really good facilitating the ball in the half court. That's 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 his talent, but he goes to any other team, nah. And he the, won't. He he can't be the best player on any any one team in the NBA, and then be successful. Yeah, he probably could go to an NBA team and be the best player on a you team, think? but they wouldn't be successful. I feel like every team has a more effective player than than Draymond Green. I mean, at you, least one. So you got to think of of guys. So one of the things that um, that I like to do is kind of compare guys mm-hmm. um and so by you saying draymond green does this and he does this well so who are some players in the past that have been able to to play at the half court or play as and a not as a, a big guy yeah not being a point guard and be able to do what he does and Pau Gasol, one of the guys that also comes to mind is is Turkaloo. yeah uh but draymond doesn't have a shot like Turkaloo. no Turkaloo could rain if he wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, but he, you look at that, that magic team against the Lakers, he was playing pretty much point guard. He mm-hmm. played that, that Scotty Pippen point forward role. Yeah. Uh, dribbling it down the court and, and he did it well. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people try to push Draymond into like the corner of Charles Barkley. And I don't think he'll ever be there. No, I don't think so either. I, I just, I, I don't think he's, he's holistically talented enough to be considered like one of these elite players. I don't, I, I just, I, I think he's a system player. That's all. Yeah. You know, I, I can see it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, what do you think? That's crazy. We just flipped the sports like that, but that, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. Cause that's what yeah. we, I mean, I remember growing up, you being right down the street, we play basketball every once in a while, you know, talk sports. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, and of course we still bullshit all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Because you're a, a pro SEC guy, me being an Ohio State guy. Well, um, I, I'll tell you, um, <laughs> I was really excited that that The Rock and, and company picked up the XFL again because it was actually exciting this year. You know, there were some good games. Well, and that was that was one of the things that I said um, right after the Big Ten said that they were canceling the season. Mm. Was I said I feel like this is the moment for the XFL to fill in. If they wanted to say, hey, we're going to play football uh, and we're going to do it on Saturdays during the fall, if you're a college player and college football is canceled, you can come here and make a little money, improve your draft stock. Man, I wonder if the NCAA would allow that to happen. I would imagine why, not. Why, why, why couldn't they? Or why? Well, the NCAA has so many these fringe rules designed to so if, but, but control s- players. But say, so. say the NCAA cancels all of football. Say the SEC, ACC, they all, they all say, hey, we're not going to do COVID-19. We're not going to fuck with it. Where do these seniors and juniors that are going into the NFL, what do they do? 
Well, they stay there and work out. I mean, they, they still they still get to take advantage of of, of the school being a being a developmental uh, tool for them. Oh, okay, but say the XFL says we're going to fill in for college football and play on Saturdays. Would you not, as a college kid who you know you're going to the NFL, you know you want to improve your draft stock. Say you were a fifth round guy, but you think. You know, preseason, you're a fifth-round guy. And you think, hey, I, you know, if I prove myself, I could probably go second round. And the XFL says, hey, we're going to pay you $100,000. That's a lot of money. Why wouldn't you play one season with the XFL? If you're not playing college football, you're not doing anything else. And then go to the combine. Well, no, it's a good, I mean, it's a good question. I, I, my, my guess, one, is that, you, well, so you're assuming that the XFL could actually replace what colleges provide to the kids for, for a year, for one year, mm-hmm. the XFL could do it. It and, seems and like I a think huge financial commitment on the part of the XFL to, to try and, you know, wean these players away from the colleges because they're going to have to, they're going to have to invest in, you know, in facilities like gyms and training facilities. And they already have the, those though. Do, I, I've actually been 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 curious how they do that because it seems like a lot to stand up for. A, yeah, you know, for I, a I, I mean, I would think the XFL already has those in the cities that they already are using or the yeah. facilities they already are. Um, I, I I would hope or think that they have that ability or, or have have the possibility to get something similar to it. I I, I think it's I I think it's a good idea. I do. I just I don't know. It strikes me as man, the NCAA probably has a way to say no. You can't do that. But they they can't though because a kid can leave school whenever he wants. So how would the NCAA say no? You can't join the XFL even though we're not playing a football season. I guess it's the they same wouldn't be thing. able to come back. They probably, wouldn't be yeah. able to come back to the college. Yes, that's one hundred percent accurate. So that's a risky take. But, but I'm saying if if you look at the juniors and the juniors that are on oh, their right way right. out no matter what, yeah, yeah, and yeah. the seniors. That are that are gone. They're going to the NFL. You know the draft's going to happen, no mm-hmm. matter what. Whether they whether college football plays or not, Justin Fields is going into the NFL. Sure. You know, um, the kid from Clemson, uh, mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence, is going into the NFL. Those two guys alone are first round picks, mm-hmm. number one, number two QBs right now. If if they don't get injured. Um, do you think they, they have a greater risk of injury if they're playing in the in the XFL? Than college? No. I would say that there's no potential that Trevor Lawrence is going to play against an NFL-like uh, quality defensive end, but in the XFL he might. It, you're saying in college he won't go up against a defensive end that, that is had, NFL caliber? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, he I will, can... He will be as relatively comparable as he is because again it's 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 college talent and your body hasn't hasn't developed but let's say there's a defensive end that got got cut from a team or maybe second or third round but he's a guy that's been putting on more muscle who's uh you know developed himself much much better and he decided to go into the xfl where where he can start and maybe he picks up a bigger contract and that that person is going to be playing against trevor lawrence now yeah that's it to me that's a greater risk of injury and so then i would say well what is the incentive then but that's also a a a greater competition so you're putting the level of competition up as well um yeah i i get that point and 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 
and I agree with you. My my contention is is with I think the risk of injury would be greater. But so so here here would be my my flip to that. Okay, so you make so if if I'm the Rock, if I'm the XFL, I say, hey, we're going to do an XFL college year this year. If, if and we're talking SEC, ACC, Big Twelve, Pac twelve. Big Ten, they come all one, say no all. football. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They all say we're not playing football this year. It would be dumb for the XFL not to try to capitalize on that Saturday market and say, hey, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, you guys want to play football? We're going to pay you $100,000 a game to come play for us. We're going to get TV deals. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You can, you can market yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can play, and you're going to play against other seniors and other juniors that are ready to go to the NFL. So you're talking about having a college league specifically, like they wouldn't inter- intermingle with, say, XFL or, or former could NFL do that. players. You could do that mm. if you wanted to. Yeah. So, so because the XFL is set for spring, that, that's already set in motion. They're, they're not gotcha. competing with the NFL as far as fall football. They're playing in the spring. So instead so you're of – talking about having two, two XFL seasons. Um, only, only for – COVID-19, right, right. only for 2020 Look, I, to make it I, I happen. I like it, man. It, yeah. it, you I know, like I it. think it would be a, a good possibility to happen. You've, you've, you've changed my mind. Um, but the question, and, and with the XFL, is they would have the ability to kind of create a bubble atmosphere, too. Yeah. Um, and, and they could make it to where, hey, we're going to separate this into, you know, quadrants. You know, you're going to have... Your your northeast, your southeast, your southwest, and your your northwest. You know, and and or a central. You know, whatever you make six different teams if you want, and it's mm-hmm. all seniors and juniors that that no longer care about college football. They they they're done with their college eligibility. They're planning for the NFL in twenty twenty one draft. You know, play them. Why not? If, if there's nothing to compete with on Saturdays, take up that Saturday TV time. I'm sure CBS, NBC, ABC, they're all going to want to deal on that. Fuck yeah. Fox, whoever. I mean, Fox has, I guess, the exclusive for XFL right now, right? Interesting. Or they did. Because hmm. it, sure. all, it was all... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm was sure all. they'll still inherit it, you know, <coughs> based on the contract set. But, but I, I, for me, it, it would just make sense. Why wouldn't you try to do something like that? And you could limit that exposure to, you know, a 28-year-old. You know, is there really a need to put a 21-year-old against a 28-year-old? I mean, if it, if it looks better for a scout to say, hey, Trevor Lawrence went up against, uh, you know, Noah Spence, and I'm just spitting a name, or Nick yeah. Fairley, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just trying to come up with a name who may have been in the NFL but maybe got cut or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, a guy who we know – is good or talented uh you could probably if you if it actually was was a concern and and you know um it it may not be that that big of a concern you could create a rule to compensate for that you know it might be one of those things where you know you've got to tackle them softer or or something like that i mean i don't know Or, or or again like it might not actually be that much of a difference, yeah. you know, honestly. So. I, the, the only thing the XFL would really hinder would be kickers and punters, I think, because of the way that they, their rules are. Uh, so yeah, they do have some weird rules. Yeah, you're not, you're not getting field goal kicks out of your field goal kickers as far as extra point attempts and stuff like that. But, um, I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you could, 
they could probably do, and I think they'd be dumb not to try to explore it. But that's only if college football says we're not having a we're not having a football season, uh, and that probably should have happened today, when teams should have said, "Hey, we're not going to do a college football season." That's really the only day, you know, or the only time that I feel like the XFL could plan for something like that. But where would you put a bubble for 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 if you had, we'll say, six teams of eighty players? Uh, so or five teams of 80 players, whatever. Whatever the case is, you're talking probably about 700 total people. Where would they be able to go play? Um, I would put them in a place that has held the Olympics prior. So in America, you're talking what, L.A. and Atlanta? L.A., Atlanta, um, preferably somewhere that doesn't have a tendency to get too cold and too cloudy unless yeah. unless they have a dome because uh, well i just mean from from just the general health of the players it seems that if you're in like a, again the virus seems to be more susceptible to you know cooler weather and uh, or or does better in cooler environments and environments without um uv light well then how come mississippi has so many well, I, so I'm I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> it, it, it it apparently because everybody's inside in the AC because it's hot as hell outside, huh? More more the case up north. If you separate Jackson and I think think Harrison County, um, they're at like 1.5 percent based on the calculation I did. So they're actually only about a 1.5 percent death rate. You know, and again, I'm only speaking from the from the death rate. That leads me to believe that people are generally healthy here, and these are these are these are non-empirical hypotheses here you know what i mean but i i think they're healthier so they're more able to 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 fight it off uh and they spend more time outside right because we've we've got the beach down down here and i think north mississippi where it's more rural you have less of that people are spending more time inside well so my my flip to that would be uh as far as if if you're to create a bubble um the hope is that everybody's healthy inside the bubble uh, That's definitely so, a plus. So, yeah. so it doesn't matter what the climate is as long as the people stay in the bubble. If we're talking about just the people, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think putting it in, in, in those locations, it lowers the risk of the virus existing in the first place. So, okay. so, so therefore, the chance to get it is lower. And again, all you're doing is play, like micro advances using data. You know, like there's no – like you can't – Here's how you do it. You put them in a building with all far UVC light. That's how you do it. Okay. <laughs> you know, but yeah, exactly. It's 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 non-realistic. My, so my my, I guess my idea of of places that you could do it, uh, you know, a bubble for football players. Uh, if if you're to say, hey, we're gonna have 800 guys in the XFL. The 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 moving parts of seniors and juniors that are leaving college. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is pretty much primarily you're only putting these guys up. It's basically just a, a senior bowl, but we're calling it a league, mm-hmm. and we're expanding it Yeah, for anybody that is on the way out of college. Like if you have to be currently enrolled or you had to be enrolled in, in college this year. I'm liking this idea more and more because you're going to have to have like an XFL draft too. 
Yeah, well, and, and they had the XFL draft, and I don't know if you paid attention to it, but uh, it wasn't like the NFL draft that they were all on the fo- they were on the phone, uh, and and it was just it was rapid fire. It felt like, uh, yeah, and and you couldn't listen live; you could only watch like the updates on Twitter or something like that. Interesting, um, but. Quarterbacks went first, of course, and that was the way that they had set it up was, uh, you know, your quarterbacks are your first picks, and then you move from there. Uh, But I think it would be interesting if they just opened it up like a full-out NFL draft and said, hey, you're drafting your team. It doesn't matter if you pick up your quarterback in the first round or the seventh round or the 120th round. How do you think it would go? I think it would follow the way it does in uh, in, – Non non PPR fantasy football leagues, so you're, so you're probably going to pick up your running back. You know, you're going to pick up a couple running backs. Um, I would say uh, the quarterback's eighth round. No, I would <laughs> I would think like the Trevor Lawrence and the Justin Fields would probably be number one, number two. Yeah, probably. Uh, and then from there, you'd probably see your running backs and and stud wide receivers go. Yeah. Uh, maybe some stud cornerbacks, uh, like you actually see in NFL drafts. Um, you know, your um. Guys that you might want to take a chance on, you you, f- you see his raw talent, you know you're going to have to maybe develop him a little bit better. But you you look at guys out of Ohio State, defensive ends, the last three years or last four years, you got Joey, Nick, Bosa, and Chase Young. And then you know there's going to be another defensive end out of Ohio State mm-hmm. that's a stud. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen, and it's going to continue to happen because – Larry Johnson is the defensive line coach, and he is a freaking godsend. I mean, the dude's an angel. Where did he come from? He came from Penn State, you know, where they developed linebackers in the 80s and 90s. That's where he came from. Uh, and, and now he's, he's a coach at Ohio State, and he's amazing. And he recruits guys not based on, uh, like, reading some of his stuff about how he got the Bosa brothers and how he got Chase Young was – it wasn't like, hey, this is what I can do for you. It was, hey, I know you're a junior going into your senior year. Try doing this. You see his stats move up. He got. So he would talk to these kids like when they were in high school and, yeah. and tell them that? So oh. he's, he's recruiting them and, and giving them pointers before they're even at Ohio State. This, this is a technique used in like, um, like uh, it's recommended like photographers use YouTube in that way. They give you a little bit of a detail and then you come back, you know, because you felt like you got something for free. Right. You didn't know you're part of this process where they're actually marketing, you know, themselves to you and you see, you know, some talent, yeah. you know. So, so it, that, it would so. be like, hey, you know, I notice you, you tend to bull rush this way. Try bull rushing the other way mm-hmm. or, or try bull rushing and do a hand twist or an over under yeah. or a swim move. Try doing something different, develop a skill set that, you know, boom. And then he does it, picks it up, or he'll say, you know, hey, I notice when when you are doing a bull rush, you tend to lead with your right foot instead of your left. But if you moved off your left foot, you might get a little edge on the guy. Mm. You know, and, and it's stuff like that that – I think the the players are like, holy shit, like he actually watched my film where the other guys are like, hey, you know, I developed this guy, this guy, this guy. That's an important element, yeah. Instead of saying, hey, I want to develop you and this is what I know about you already. Yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of 
developing that that trust because you see that somebody has with with no cost to you your best interest at heart yeah you know and and i think that's what separates a lot of the ohio state coaches is they kind of they might not have the personal development but they want to and they're going to do everything they can where a guy like Harbaugh is going to go in with cleats on hardwood floor and you're a five-star recruit and just be an asshole. Uh, you know, who does that? Who wears cleats inside a house? See, but Harbaugh does it. I uh, didn't, uh, I didn't read that, but now I'm, now I'm going to have to, I, I, uh, I saw the, I saw it on my timeline, you know, but, but I didn't click it and, and, and read it. It was thought provoking, you know the, you know the headline. Yeah. But. So so the story is that it, that he was visiting a five star recruit, and uh, the the athlete had hardwood floors at his house, and Harbaugh refused to take his cleats off, and is walking around this five star recruit's ho- hardwood floored house with cleats on, uh, and it was right after the the Wolverines made this deal with Jordan. So, of course, it could have been the fact that he really likes cleats. It could also have been the fact that he's trying to show off these brand-new Jordan cleats, you know, because everybody loves the Jordan brand. Um, but from some of the other players and stuff, apparently the Harbaugh just loves wearing cleats. So he refuses to take them off. He gets on planes with cleats on. Uh, when they're You're when they're kidding fly- no man, I'm telling you. You read that article; it's wild. The dude is a freaking head case. Uh, the fact that he's a a college coach is wild. Uh, I mean, the fact he's a coach in general, just because of all the weird shit he does, anyways. Uh, it, yeah, it's 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 weird, man. Uh, but you look at Ohio State coaches in comparison. You got Combs, who just went. He was on the Titans last year. Now mm-hmm. he's back with Ohio State. Um, and he's amazing with, with the development of defensive backs. Just, I mean, huh. dude can, f- I mean, you look at the, the recruits, the, not only the recruits, but the defensive backs that have come out of Ohio State, like the last five years, mm-hmm. pretty wild dudes. I mean, yeah. we, we've had at least, I think, two defensive backs drafted in the first round. You include the defensive ends. So, I mean, that's pretty much three uh, defensive players that are drafted in the first round no matter yeah. what. And then you got guys like Mike Thomas, Ezekiel Elliott, mm-hmm. through the years that just continue to look good in the NFL. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and continue to bring praise to Ohio State's development of players. Even though when Zeke was there, I don't think we utilized him as much as we should have. We lost some games by not giving him the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and, He's and, such a great player, man. Yeah, I love, I love watching him. him. I love him, yeah. and he and it's not just the fact he can run the ball, but he just brings so many. I hate the Cowboys, but he's the only player that the Cowboys could have ever drafted that would make me hate them less. And that's exactly what I said when they drafted him. Is now I can't root against them. I I, I kind of feel that way with with Dak, although Dak's been pissing me off in this offseason. You know, I don't think he's worth you know what he was asking. I don't think he's. Worth I hope what they he give got. it to him. You know, because I don't really like the Cowboys. Yeah, so. yeah, it's just going to hurt them long term. Uh, no, I get it, but I, I hope they give him hundred million a year. <laughs> most of his his plays that he makes, and and some people will will think this is a benefit, but he makes 
most of his touchdowns and, and deep throws out of the pocket. So, so when the play's broken, it's whenever he does it. Yeah, great skill to have, but the fact that that's primarily how you quarterback, like you can't run an actual offense, I think that's a problem. Well, that's kind of how Johnny Manziel was too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. He, he, was a, he was a good actor in chaos. Uh, oh, I like that. And, and that's a great skill to have Yeah, because when chaos occurs – who, who do you want? And, and chaos is going to happen. Yeah, chaos sure. is going to come. Do you want a guy who has to be everything X, Y, X, Y, X, Y? You know, your Peyton Mannings, your Tom Brady's, who everything pretty much has to be perfect in order for them to completely excel. Um, and, and those quarterbacks are going to always be your greats. Yeah. But the guys that can be great actors in chaos. Vic. <laughs> yeah, your your Mike Vicks, your Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb's a good one. Uh, yeah. The the guys you don't necessarily put on your top five, but when you think about it, you're like, damn, that guy was really good to watch. Yeah, you know, and, and they might be in your top five quarterbacks to watch, but mm-hmm. they're not in your top five QBs of all time. Yeah. Um, well, you know, going back to going back to COVID, you know, from from sports, uh, how do you think the U.S. response has been? It's so my big concern has been the leadership um, because I feel like it hasn't been consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm, I'm mainly putting this on the national level. So, so President Trump would be the person I would probably hold most responsible for the lack of uh, because I feel like he has given so many different answers. I guess, uh, like his answers haven't always been consistent. Yeah. He, he thinks it's going to disappear up. Oh, it's not going to disappear. Uh, you know, you don't have to wear a mask. Now you do have to wear a mask. Um, you know, and, and it's, it could be the fact that science has kind of been confusing with this too, I because we're all learning. I think it's reasonable to assume there's, there's some of that. Um, I think the biggest problem may not be, uh, the leadership as much as we we kind of want it to be mm-hmm. uh sometimes it's just the people man uh you know you got so many people it's like hey why not wear a mask well you got karen videotaping a bunch of people about not wearing their mask getting pissed off because she doesn't want to wear a mask you know it, it's there's just man there's just too much crazy shit going on wear a mask don't wear a mask you got both sides yeah, um, it, it it seems to me that what, what what bugs me about it is, and I think you you'll agree with this is, it seems that the people that are very vocal and saying they don't want to wear a mask tend to lean on the right side of the aisle, yeah, and they let and they leverage this point about you know freedom, but you know it, you need to go back and you know read a history book because freedom occurs when, when insofar as you can self regulate. That's what freedom is. It's not freedom of movement. It's, it's, it's the ability to self-regulate. And so if not, if you're not going to self-regulate, then in order to avoid, you know, this, what uh, uh, Hobbes would call the state of nature, then some sort of structure needs to be installed in order to keep, keep, keep the system safe and operating. Because we can't look at any third world or country or failed state. We can, you know go down a pathway of, of, of total anarchy and we can go down the pathway of, of, 
uh, total control and neither are, are actually desirable. So wearing that mask is just your ability to self-regulate. I personally am not worried about getting it. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly healthy. I may get it. Apparently blood type matters. I have, I, I happen to be a type O. Um, and I also wear, wear my mask, but I wear it not for me per se. I wear it for somebody else. Right. That's it. You know? Yeah. And so for me, I'm, I'm in the same boat. O positive blood type. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could lose some pounds, but I'm fairly healthy. Yeah. Well, you're um, younger too. So yeah. But, my whole thing prior to this uh, was the fact that I wanted to come home. You know, I mm-hmm. wanted to come to Mississippi. I wanted to be around my folks. My dad's got hypertension. My dad, you know, history of, of cancer and heart issues in my family. So, um, so there's, there's those factors as well. And my folks are getting up there in age too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so for me, I know, you know, hey, if I want to come down to the coast and I have to uh, sell, you know, I have to socially distance myself from people. I have to wear a mask when I go to the grocery store. I have to use hand sanitizer when I fill up my car, kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, like I go through the motions, the steps that that are necessary. Um, and and I've seen, you know, one of the other things that I noticed was being on social media is who who was being a, an asshole about it. Who's not socially distanced? Who's taking pictures at? Uh, the, the old, it, it used to be Leo's, um, mm. you know, who's taking pictures down there. Who's, who's at these parties. Who's, you know, always posting pictures of them with, with a bunch of people who aren't wearing masks or who's complaining about wearing a mask or who's not wearing, you know, yada, yada, who's saying it's fake news, all this stuff. And it's all up here. You know, I yeah. have my people that I'm not going to go around. Yeah. Um, and, and you might call it being an asshole, but I'm just being protective of, of my family you yeah. know, and myself. Uh, prior to coming down here, um, I had a friend who uh, was uh, like we we were we were close. We 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 hung out a lot uh, before COVID, and then when, when COVID happened, it was kind of like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna talk. We're not going to hang out like we did. We're going to communicate via FaceTime or, or whatever the case is. Um, and, and then it slowly became, well, when can I see you again kind of thing? And we would hang out, and then uh, she, would, she would say, hey, uh, you know, I went to the protest in Columbus today. I'm like, well, shit, there was a bunch of people there. Like, okay, well, I'll wait like a week or two and, and see if she gets sick. She didn't get sick, um, so we were good there. Uh, and then it was like, okay, uh, then, we, then we hang out, and it was like um, we hung out on a Tuesday, and she told me she, had, she hadn't been around anybody. And then she calls me on Thursday and says, hey, I just wanted you to know that I went to a, a baby shower, a wedding shower on Sunday, and somebody that was there um, – test positive for COVID or showing COVID symptoms. And I'm like, well, you told me before that you hadn't been around anybody. And now you're telling me you had, so you lied to me, you know, and like you knew my plan was to go to Mississippi. Like that was already set in motion. So now you put me in danger of not being able to do what I wanted to do, Mm -hmm. you know? 
Uh, so, so that kind of, I imagine that, that, that was pretty irritating. Yeah. And well, it was, it was not only frustrating, but it, it ended up fracturing the friendship because there's no trust now, you know? Um, and, and of course we haven't communicated pretty much since, um, because she knew how serious I was taking it and she would kind of make fun. Like you're taking this way too seriously. And it's like, well, one, I don't really like being around a lot of people anyways. I'm sober. So that was another thing. Like, if I'm around a bunch of people, I'm usually drinking. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like I'm sober, so, you know, I don't want to be around a lot of people because then I'd want to drink. Yeah. Uh, or, I, or, or I might want to drink if, if alcohol is readily available. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot, of, a lot of things that were occurring, and, and she kind of poked fun saying I was taking it way too seriously, or she kept asking our – you know, are you really scared about this stuff? And it's like, it's a fucking pandemic. Yeah, I'm fucking worried about this shit. Like, yeah. uh, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, all we keep seeing is how much death there is in Italy. We still um, don't. Yeah, and we still don't know enough about it. I mean. Right. And well, it, and this was like the very beginning. Oh, know, okay. Like, yeah. So, so this is. So this is March. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. You know, yeah. So you really didn't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and there was a lot of, well, we stopped talking probably early July. Mm-hmm. Uh, was when when she uh, lied to me about about socially distancing and all that stuff. So, but we had hung out from March to July, like f- not frequently, but it was probably like once a month, you know, once every two weeks kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, if she told me she went and saw somebody, I'm like, I'm gonna wait a while. I'm gonna see what happens, kind of thing. So I felt like I was smart about it, yeah, uh, because I'm. I mean, I'm a homebody. I like hanging with my dog. If I'm not going out drinking, yeah, I don't really have much going on. Yeah, my my wife is 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 kind of dealing with this too, and and you know, um, people that like she's trying to take it seriously, and not just for herself, but for others. But it, she's I think she's probably getting the feeling that people aren't giving her the same sort of courtesy or the respect the, she's or, giving them. Right now me playing devil's advocate and I shouldn't, you know, but I, my, you know, what I say to her, because, because some of it involves like, like some family. And so I'm, I think she's right, you know, but, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe they're not doing it to hurt her specifically, you know, yeah. they're doing it because they, they're just sort of arrogant themselves. Right. You know what I mean? Now that's a burden they have to bear. They they have to live within that within that bubble of arrogance and ignorance. Um, but you know it's hard hard to kind of convey like man, you really just shouldn't give a shit about their opinion. You know on this stuff. You know, and then also if they're doing something to, you know, make you uncomfortable, then maybe you don't spend as much time around them. You know, because they obviously don't have the same level of respect for you. And you know you judge you judge a tree by the fruit that it bears. You yeah, know, for sure. Um, yeah. I th- one of the things that I said about about COVID, aside from like it changing, well, there, there's been a lot of things that I that I've said about COVID, but um, I think one of the things that's going to carry COVID longer is, and, and there's two types of people, the people who work in the service industry, mm-hmm. and and like I told my friend, it's not because they're dumb, because mm-hmm. they're not. You know, some of the people who work in the service industry are some of the smartest individuals I've ever met. Yeah. Uh, and for some, and for a lot of people, it is just kind of a stepping stone of a job. You right. Know what I mean? But but the people who work in the service industry or the people that continue to work in the industry, maybe they like it, 
you know, maybe they like cooking, maybe they like uh, serving people, maybe they like bartending. But the reason why they're going to continue to carry it is because one, their consistent contact with people, and two, the fact if they miss a shift, that could be the difference between them making rent or not. Yeah, you know, I agree. Um, and then the second type of people are those ignorant assholes who don't understand, and, and they're the same people who push the flu every year because they go into work even though they know they're sick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we have those people in my workplace that are like, "Oh, I've been." perfect attendance for 30 years you're coming in here with the damn flu like you're sneezing and coughing and and hacking all over everyone like no shit that's why you come in here with 102 fever yeah because you don't care about anybody but your own self and who cares if you called in sick let's be honest i know you you get paid for it when your salary you know so call in sick if you're sick and that's, that's going to be those type of people who feel like they, if they miss a day of work, they're going to miss something. Like something's going to happen if I don't go into work. I've got an unpopular opinion uh, related to the service industry, and, it, and it's that I think that all tipping should be illegal. I think that tipping is a form of uh, legal discrimination because of what the, what the preferences are by people who do the tipping. And this is true across all demographics. But if you're, if you're a short black male, you get tipped the worst. If you're a tall white female, you get tipped the most, generally speaking. And so they've, they've, they've studied this in different parts of the country. Uh, and again, it's true across all demographics. And so it seems that the effect of tipping is that it, it's based, one, on your looks and not necessarily the quality of, of your work. That's not a universal statement, obviously. You know, there's some, there's some context. And most people that I tell this to, they'll say, uh, well, they'll, they'll talk about their observations, which is, which is reasonable. But the data seems to be pretty clear that, like, you know, um, it's a form of legal, legal discrimination. And, and frankly, these restaurant owners are, like, they're, they're essentially producing, like, a product without taking all costs of labor into account. Yeah. You know. But so so the flip side of that would be so what do you do? do oh, so so and, so and you include the price of labor in all the food. Okay. Um It'd be like going going to a mechanic and him taking care uh you you paying for the uh to get your vehicle fixed, but then also having to pay a separate ticket for his labor. For labor. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that makes sense. Uh but that could also separate people going to uh you know a, a restaurant as opposed to eating a fast food you know um because it, it would cost less for me than you know to go pick up a value meal than it would for me to go to um you know el saltillos and sit down and, and actually eat a yeah meal. well the it, it's it's also important to note like what what the actual price of that labor is and that would help you determine how much more like what the marginal increase would be on the actual cost of, you know, or on the actual price of the item. I mean, it might be that, you know, some per, somebody who gets paid $15 an hour can wait on, you know, let's say the average meal size is three or table has three meals, right? So, and again, this is for argument. I'm sure it's something like two, 2.2 or something like that, you know, but they can wait on, 
four tables in an hour. That's 12 meals. Maybe it's only a dollar, you know, 20 increase on, on each product. I don't know. But then you look at, so, I mean, I, I get it. And I, I like the idea because I feel like, um, like people who work in the service industry deserve more pay. Uh, as far as as far as waitresses, uh, waiters, um, more consistent pay. Yeah. Well, also, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, not being a slave to busy times. But but you're also you're also looking at um, the if you flip it, you know, you're looking at people who could make two hundred in a night, and then maybe, hey, I don't have to work nights anymore because I'm making the same amount whether I'm day or night. Mm-hmm. So there's, there, I mean, there's flip arguments to it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, if, if, if you look at Valentine's Day versus Mother's Day, you know, or Valentine's Day versus a Sunday, you know, where Sunday, you're not going to get a lot of tips. Um, yeah, probably not. You know, the, the, the post-church crowd doesn't tip very well. Well, there's no surprise. Especially there. after they, they just gave 10% to their church. Right. <laughs> well, that's even if they do that. <laughs> right. Um, right. But having worked in the, in the food industry, I've always made an effort to ensure that I tip well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's more than 20%. Um, and I don't necessarily base it off how good the person is or not. Because I don't really care. Um, if I noticed that they hustled, you know, they had eight tables. Mm-hmm. If I noticed that... Yeah, there are times when I get frustrated. I'm like, fuck, I'm not giving you 20%. I'll give you 15 Yeah, yeah, but you still um, always give something. Right, I'm, I'm always... It would have to be a terrible experience for you not to tip. I've, I don't think I've ever had a point where I didn't tip. Mm. Um, there, there are times, like, with, with like, delivery, where I'm like, hmm, I don't... Especially during COVID. I know these people on Uber are making an ass load of money. Uh, like, Uber Eats is huge in Columbus and, and they just introduced the, the, the drivers can have multiple stops. So -hmm. before it it was, you ordered your food, one driver picked up your order and brought it to your place. Now it's one driver can pick up eight orders at multiple restaurants and drop them off. Your food might get there cold. And like, how is that right? You know, uh, well, like it's a response to the demands of the people doing right, the driving. But, but, do, yeah. but do you really expect me to give you fifteen or twenty percent when it's when, yeah. when it's cold? Like because quite frankly, like frankly, the the fact that you have other people's orders is an irrelevant detail to me. Right, and, and, and then they have the delivery fee tacked on already. Yeah. Like the delivery fee is already there. Sure, they say, oh, it doesn't go to the driver. Then where does it go? Yeah, exactly. Well, it should go to the yeah. If sure. it's if it's a three dollar oh, convenience fee and then another three dollar, I mean, you look at Uber Eats. I don't know if you've ever ordered Uber. I Eats. haven't. Yeah. But so that there's like there's a delivery fee, then there's like a convenience fee, and then there's the tip. I'd say convenience fee goes goes to Uber Eats, and the delivery fee goes goes to the driver because you, you would think that it's convenient that I get to have this service. Thank but, you. For but providing they still, it. man. I'm telling you, it's still like. $3 convenience fee, $3 delivery fee, and then they want you to tip. How does that make sense? I don't know, man. I, I, would, I would hope that that $3 did go to the driver, and it was kind of like, um, you know, your, your, what you made an hour at a restaurant, because it's usually like, what, 
three bucks, you know, somewhere between two. As, three you're and four talking uh, hourly, yeah, as far yeah. as what the company actually there? has to has to receive because they can't not get paid and do tips only. Like, um, and and this could be state to state also. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, know how Ohio sure. works, but but in Mississippi, I think you are required to be given like three three bucks or something like that. Yeah, well, I think I think the uh, the employees of like a, a waiter gets x amount of dollars like they they yeah. do but i think they also if they're registering their tips correctly they might not uh receive the full amount and they, and they might drop them down mm-hmm. i don't know yeah i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure how it works yeah the system is set up for them to be disincentivized to claim all their money right you know? and it's man it's i think that's the bigger push to not like changing the tipping uh, 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 dynamic, you know, the paradigm, because people don't want to have to start paying more in taxes, showing more income, which may mean that they're, uh, they'd receive less sort of assistance from the government if they were trying to get that, you know, things of that nature. Because but now you have accounted for income. So, th- so the question is, if you move to, to your idea where... Um, the service industry gets, we'll just say, a flat minimum wage. Fifth, you know, or, or or we'll just say, they get paid a wage, fifteen dollars an hour, right? Uh, and, and and no tips, no, no tips, tips allowed. What happens if you do put a tip on the table? Great question. So so th- there's restaurants who who do this, and it's it's kind of popular in New York. There's there's a guy who owns a series of of, of restaurants. Um, and there's other places that, that do it as well. And what happens is on the front of the building, when they walk in, they say, we do not accept tips. Any tips received will go to this, will go to this uh, charity. And so every month, the business selects, the employees select a charity. So it's this kind of convenient thing where they can, you know, like they're not taking tips. They're being paid well enough. And damn, the model's working in New York of all places. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's basically what they do. Now, of course, it requires you to have established a culture where people will turn that money in, you know, and, and that might be more so what you're, what, what you're asking about, and, and that's an integrity move, you know? Yeah, I mean, are you going to throw in a $20 bill after you worked your ass off, uh, you know, to make sure that my sweet tea was always filled? I don't know. Well, so I don't know. That's a that's a good question too. And I would say that that what businesses do now. This is this is this is my, you know, my management leadership education coming in. I I say one is a cheap trick that that organizations just rely on the meritocracy of service to determine your your income, because I in in a normal job when you're making a flat, you know, like a flat amount of money what's the incentive for you to do a good job well it's a proper evaluation system the chance for bonuses and perks and things of that such so what the business would be forced to do would change to a a dynamic or or a a paradigm like that so they would have to you would have to now have a manager that had some management prowess and 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 be able to leverage human capital that's that's the model shifts to okay I mean that makes sense because i mean for me the reason why i work hard is because one I mean, well, the, and this is where I feel like military comes in. You have your personal, like, uh, integrity, you know, yeah. that, that says, or your personal drive would probably be the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. I want to separate myself from my peers. How do I do that? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And the best way is always going to be to work harder than everyone else. To always be on time, 
and to always work harder, uh, to always make sure that I do my best or live by the standards that are given to me. Do you remember that kid I was telling you about his, his room was, was really dirty? Yeah. One of the comments I made to my uh, senior, my, my E8, uh, I said, uh, I said, sir, let me tell you something. Obviously, this, this, this has to get fixed, but you, me, or anybody else in this unit is not qualified to fix this problem. This is the result of 20 years of, of failed parenting strategy. That's, that's what we are being tasked to fix. Now, wanted to get that out so that you know, we, could, we, we could have a discussion. I'm not going to accept the idea that somehow I could have prevented this. You know, I won't. Not in that situation. I will accept the obligation I have to, to, to help him. But <laughs> I didn't contribute to that. I was, yeah. very, um, I was very controlling of this particular guy because he wasn't always on time. You know? He was late many, many times. I've issued so many paperwork, so much paperwork, additional, additional duty, that, that sort of thing to this guy. And he just, it, it wasn't in his, that mentality wasn't in his head. Yeah. And my fear after, you know, while well, I'm still in the reserves, my fear is that that's going to be more and more of a problem. Oh, it's, it's definitely going, you know? it's going to exist. It's going to continue to be an existing factor in American society. Uh, and, and I feel like the, the reason why it will continue is because we've gone away from parents being parents and parents being friends. Yeah. Um, and, and I see it on social media all the time uh, where people I grew up with, like, this is my best friend, and it's their daughter. Uh, and and I, I understand that. Like, you want to have a good relationship with your kid, especially if you didn't have a good relationship with your parents or... Uh, maybe, maybe even not having a bad relationship, but you wanted more out of it. Yeah. Um, and when when you look at our society where we're failing and where we move in the TikTok world, where you got sex appeal in teenagers, you know, it's crazy. It's outrageous, bro. It, it it it's it's wild how much we've we've desensitized our society. Not, not only to sex, but also to, uh, I mean, profanity is one thing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm guilty of it because, I mean, man, I'll, I'll drop an F-bomb just because. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it was really tough when I got out of the military and went into banking. Right. And, <laughs> and, 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 but also gore, you know, death. Um, we're so fixated on, on this. And that's, that's kind of where uh, I was getting at earlier with, with how I want to separate myself from social media is, is the dopamine uh, and, and the, my idea, whenever I was in Afghanistan, my, my mom said, you don't have to call us if you post on Facebook, we'll know you're okay. Uh, so it just kind of became my thing where it was just like, Hey, I can reach a thousand people. You know, I have this many friends. I can post something and everybody knows I'm either alive or I'm well. Uh, everybody knows what kind of state of mind I'm in. Yeah. Everybody knows I'm, if I'm being goofy, if I'm posting, you know, a picture of beer, whatever. That showed your, that showed the utility of it for you. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and my audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it separated the emotional connection with people. Um, because people aren't seeing me as a person because my life looks better on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and, and everybody's life and, and that's a phrase that my buddy Luke, who, uh, is, his 
artist name is Luker. He was, uh, he, I mean, he's a songwriter. Um, wow. Does music. Uh, Shout out to Luke. Yeah, one of one of his uh, one of his things is my life looks better on the internet. It's it's in one of his songs, um, and and it's something that kind of resonated with me because I feel like that's always our challenge is to make our lives look better than what they are. Um, and that also leads us into that depressing state of mind, man, you know, yeah. Uh, when I, we're always hunting for that dopamine, we don't get it. Mm -hmm. You know, you log on and you're like, man, how come I'm not getting these notifications mm -hmm. like I was, um, you know, so you do something a little more edgier or, sure. you know, you, you post a joke that's just out there, yeah. you know, uh, just to try and get some, some troll, you know, troll bait out there, you know, uh, and, and uh, for me, it, I've always been like that, even before Facebook, though. You know, I've always enjoyed frustrating people, uh, you know, um, and it, it's, it's, it's like an art for me, mm -hmm. um, because I want, one, I want people to think, like, actually think, um, but two, it's fun. Like, it's fun frustrating people to a point of, like, them getting so upset where they want to throw, throw fists. It's a, to me, it's a, it's a game. It's a game. And, and, and again, uh, I don't want to say that, that this is a, a, a great thing to do, you know, but, but, but at the end of the day, like, it's a game. You know, that's, that's what you're playing. There's no difference in what you're describing and the way Michael Jordan treated other players on the basketball right. court. To, to, to me, there, there, there is no difference. And personally, that's how I talk to people on a, on a basketball court. I'm trying to get you out of your, out out of your, your game, out of your game, out of your preparation, out of your focus, out of your and element. I'm, yep. And I'm going to, I'm probably going to do it if I'm honest, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, um, but that's me trying to get the edge and, and at, at least online, like, you know, of course people are going to hear, hear this and, and say, um, and, and hear what you described and think you know, maybe a little less, but like at the end of the day, it's not, I don't, I could be wrong. There's not an actual genuine sense of like, you want to be malevolent just, just because you want to make their life worse. It's just, you're kind of having a little fun. No. Well, so yeah, that's where I should probably retract everybody that I'm friends with on Facebook. They might not be the closest of friends, but I cherish the relationship I have with the people mm -hmm. that I, that I've accepted. And I'm, I am very on top of who I'm friends with. Mm -hmm. Like if I didn't like you at a certain point in my life, I'm, you know, if, if it's a high school level, I'll forgive it because we were all kids. Stupid. Yeah. Um, but like a guy I was in the army with, uh, he ended up getting out before we deployed. Uh, he got discharged. Um, he was involved in a steroid scandal mm. and he's one of the few guys that I can honestly say if I saw in person today, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even talk to him. I would do everything I could to avoid him. Yeah. Um, and, and I've, I've described him as someone I would literally spit on if I saw in person. I don't know if I really would spit on him. I'd yeah, probably think about cheap. it. Yeah. I mean, I'd probably think about yeah. it though. Uh, but I, if he told me, Hey man, I'm hurting for, I'm hurting for cash, you know, and, and he wanted McDonald's, I probably wouldn't buy it for him. Yeah. You know, he's one of those type of guys, even though, he might actually be starving. I had somebody who uh, was was largely responsible for the organizational woes that 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 plagued the unit I, I was at in Georgia, and um, it was it was again a bad experience for me. 
worst experience of my life. And uh, he shot me a message the other day on Facebook, and my thought was like, oh, I thought I blocked you already. Block. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so, so you, you get it, though. Yeah, yeah. I, those people are not on my Facebook. No. Um, and I try to, to keep that. Uh, if I get a friend request from somebody and I don't know who they are, the only way you can request me as a friend is if we have a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where my, well, when I had Facebook, I don't have it right now, but yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe when people listen to this, they might, we they might the be like, who the Facebook? hell is this Patrick guy? Uh, <laughs> let me look him up on Facebook. Uh, it's, it'd probably be pretty difficult for them to find me because I have my privacy set so high. Yeah. Uh, but I do, uh, I keep an eye on it because one, I respect my friends. Um, and, and I don't want somebody to, to get on, and this happened, this happened when I was in the army. I friend, you know, I had a friend that went through my friends list and started messaging girls uh, in in my friends list and w- was adding them and sending them messages. And I would get a report back from from these female friends that I knew, and they're like, "Hey, who is this guy? You know, he says he knows you. Um, he's sending me some weird stuff." And I'm like, "I'll take care of it." You know, and, and so that kind of became my thing is I need to be more protective of of my friends. So you can't view my friends list. Uh, the only way you can request me is, is as a mutual friend. You know, people can see if you comment on my post. I can't, you know, keep them from not seeing that. Yeah. But, um, and I don't put things public anymore. Uh, and, and sometimes if I post something really good, somebody will be like, eh, make it public, shareable. Yeah, like, yeah. Copy and paste it if you want. I don't mm-hmm. care. Yeah, it might be my words. It might be a meme I stole. Yeah. You know, who knows? But a lot of times if it's, if it's like a long-ass paragraph, it's probably me who wrote it. Um, and, and I'm okay with people copying and pasting it and saying, you know, this is from Patrick. Mm-hmm. Or uh, if they want to give me credit, if they don't, that's fine too. Yeah. Taken yeah. from a friend. I'm okay with that. <laughs> But um, my parents are on my Facebook. You know, my, mm-hmm. my grandparents, when they were alive, were on my Facebook. Yeah. So I always wanted to protect, and I want to protect my family and friends mm-hmm. uh, from the monsters that be. Right. You know? Yeah, um, I'm the same way. So, so my Facebook's pretty locked down. Um, and the, the ones that I do have that I have altering views with... Um, Sometimes I'll post stuff to, to irritate them. And, and the crowd right now that seems to be most pissed off about what I post are the pro-Trumpers. Uh, they always say, you know, you're, you're, anti, you're so anti-Trump, you're, just as, you're, you're a liberal, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, if you really think about me as a person, I'm probably the furthest from liberal that's not a Trump person or a yeah. Republican. I don't claim to be a Republican. I don't claim to be a Democrat. Um, I, I would say that I'm a cent- centralist. Um, Centrist, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I used to align myself with the Libertarian Party, but I don't um, because there's still some things in the Libertarian Party I don't agree with. Yeah. Uh, so I would, I would probably say I'm an independent voter. Yeah. Um, I will vote third party, and I voted third party the last... 2004 was the last election I didn't vote third party. So are you going to vote third party this time? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure who I'm going to vote for. Um, I'd have to look at who some of the other parties 
who, who the party leaderships are from other parties. I like Joe uh, Jorgensen, the mm-hmm. uh, libertarian candidate, but um, my, my, I, I f- my problem with the libertarian party is when it's time to pounce, they don't. Last year, they could have easily said, look, you know, when, when, it was, when it was Johnson and Weld, they could have easily said, hey, we're neither of these freaking morons. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not Hillary. We're not Trump. Um, and, and Joe could come out and say, we're not, we're not Biden. We're not Trump. Uh, this is what we believe in. And they're just not. I don't, I don't know if it's them not getting the TV time uh, with the networks, but CNN had... Uh, the town halls with with the Libertarian Party last year, and it just felt like they weren't capitalizing on this. Hey, Trump is doing this, and that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Hey, Hillary's doing this, and this is wrong. This is what we believe in. They weren't doing. They weren't calling them out, mm-hmm. and that's been my biggest issue with the Libertarian Party. And that's what the party stands for because they're the the NAP, the the anti aggressive. Um, party politics that they mm-hmm. the policies that they that they believe in um i would i would say well well let me ask you do you think that most libertarians come from a right-leaning or left-leaning background i'm not sure i think it's a little bit of both um i'm inclined to believe it's the right and i think that's that's why they aren't pouncing i think that's that's why they're not um really electable right now because um the Democrats have greater party allegiance than I think the right wing does, but the right wing understands that if they go to a third party, they split their voting base. So, so guys like Shea Dobson, yeah, who uh, would probably tell you they're libertarian, they run Republican. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the reason why is probably because more of their policies that people notice or care about on, on the lower level um, would be more in line with, with funds, conservative as far as yeah, f- yeah. physical, you know, as far as money. Yeah. Um, where they don't care about the social aspects of politics. You know, that's, that's been where I feel like uh, where they don't agree with the Republican Party and where they align themselves with the Democratic Party is the fact that most libertarians don't care if if you're uh, part of the LGBTQ community. No. Uh, no. They're fine with it. Yeah. Um, they they're pro marijuana, which the the right is hardcore generally, against. Yeah, generally not. Um, and and that's one of the things that that we've been talking about as far as legalization uh, of, of of pot. In Ohio, we're probably not going to legalize on the recreational side until DeWine's gone, uh, and that's our governor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a Republican. He's seemed m- more anti-Trump uh, lately, yeah. Um, but he's definitely anti-marijuana, um, and that's kind of frustrating. But um, there, there are aspects where I feel like you could say – the Libertarian Party could appeal to the Democratic Party. Let's be honest. We, we have an increasing debt that we need to figure out. Yeah. Uh, and it grows by the day. And it grows every time they do a stimulus package. Oh, God, I know. And that's where I felt 
President Trump did a really good job with the executive order, even though it might not constitutionally be right. Which which executive order are you, are you talking about? Uh, pretty much any of them that he that he released last week. Oh, those. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah. As as far as the relief for COVID nineteen, yeah, or the China virus, as he kept calling it before, uh, and then he it's said COVID nineteen, and then coronavirus while he was reading the executive orders. Um, but with with all, f- I think it was four executive orders he released last last week. I was not opposed to any four of them. Mm-hmm. I feel like there should be additional funding to the unemployment right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, f- I felt like the, um, the payroll tax, I would prefer if they got rid of it indefinitely. Right. Uh, I know some people are worried about it because it involves Social Security. It involves Medicaid, Medicare. Um, and that makes sense. But... W- Let's be honest. If we had a if we had a f- flat tax, it'd probably be better f- for us as a nation. Um, I'm on the fence about it, man. Because again, it goes back to like, uh, well, oh, I'm I'm getting two two podcasts mixed mixed up. Jamie Arena, my last guest uh, earlier earlier today, he uh, he talked about when whenever he was in pilot training, he was making nineteen thousand dollars a year. And I think of that individual when I think of a flat tax and the impact of that. That person's going to feel ten percent more than more than say somebody that makes seventy percent. That, so that might be true. Yeah, there's certainly a way to simplify it. Yeah, you know, and be more inclusive of of the taxes since like what forty percent of people don't actually pay taxes. Right. Maybe fixing that will solve a lot of problems. You right. Know? And 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 then you have all the loopholes that people figure out whenever they get up in that you know high range. Where oh, bro, I'm I'm uh, I'm already taking advantage. You know where yeah. I can. You know, I, I had somebody I, when I was in high school said... that's completely understandable because taxation be, is theft. But yeah. if you're going to have it, I, I yeah. believe that there needs to be a flat tax. Yeah. I, I'm Look, honestly, I think I think a national tax plan can fit on a single sheet of paper. You know? It should. <laughs> yeah. It, I think, it, it I think you could abolish the IRS and automate that shit yeah. and it'd be done. We wouldn't even have to file taxes. It, it's just what you that's, pay. That's the way it should. And, and, you, it, and you could do it... Um, me and my dad were talking about, you could do a national sales tax where every purchase has the the tax yeah and that's the only point of of taxation would be the purchase yeah the purchase point mm-hmm. uh and then th- that also makes sense uh i to me we just need to figure out a way if we're if we're going to say that tax has to to be a necessary evil in order to keep the country running to figure mm-hmm. out this this debt that we have then to me there has to be a way to do it where it's fair amongst everyone. Nobody feels like they're getting fucked over. That's that's the ethics problem, though, is because now, and trust me, like, well, a subdiscipline of philosophy is ethics. Right. I tell you, that's a fucking rabbit, like a rabbit hole to go down because you can, there's different types of ethical standards here, you know, like, and the question of what is fair right. is different than what is equal. What is it to be in equilibrium? Right. You know, and I think more so the answer, you know, it might be a question of how do we achieve equilibrium? That's not necessarily equal, but it's, it's enough. Everyone, all the factors are in a balanced state as a whole, not balanced against one another. But again, it's the idea of equilibrium that like, you know, it's not going to be equal parts per se, but it'll be, it'll have a balanced result. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and ethics is, is definitely a, 
man, that's a it's a conversation that 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 has to be had about it for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and it's always interesting when you bring up ethics because there are things that aren't ethical but they're legal. You know, there's and you it, just got to find the ethical standard right. by which to judge and, it. Yeah, and really, it's, really, it's, it's a relative thing. It's where you want to be. Do you want to be ethical or do you want to be lawful? Like, what what is more important to you? Uh, do you want to like? As far as military, we have that personal integrity. So for us, it's kind of a mix between okay, where's our, where's our line between what's lawful, you know, what what is against the law and what's not, and then and then what's ethical and what's not. Um, yeah. And 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 being military, I feel like you you kind of try to find that line where you're both. Yeah. On a personal integrity level, uh, as, as an individual, but there are people that don't give a damn about ethics yeah and yeah. and they're fine with as long as they're inside that it's lawful yeah uh, i'm okay with it yeah. i don't i don't care if it's the asshole move to do and i don't care if i fuck over a hundred thousand people when i do it uh as long as the law says i can that's all that matters yeah yeah i think the average comes in the the ethics comes in when you when you leverage the law you know i think ethics come in when you develop the law um, for me, I would think that being lawful means being in compliance with the established law. And then the, you know, here, here's another way to look at it. Um, you generally judge as an existentialist, they would say that you judge, uh, the ethics of something by its outcome and where you can't determine the, the, uh, the ethics, then you judge the outcome and infer the motives you know for that yeah so yeah it's uh yeah ethics man it's it's i when i took a an ethics course it was like fuck man this is dude it's a it's it's so deep like and 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 you realize too that that there's like the key to ethics is establishing the ethical framework first like you can't you know murder yeah you know like you can't you can't say that all murder is is unethical because there's times where it is. There's a, there's a great thought experiment where a man stumbles um, upon a, uh, uh, a, a tribe or some people in the jungle who have taken hostage 20 people. And he says, either you kill one person and the rest can live, or they're going to kill all of them. Well, what do you do? Well, and they use this to say, and, the, and ethically we're assuming that all murder is all murder is wrong. Well, that's not true. Right. There are, but there are, those are, those are thought experiments to explain even in ethics, even under an ethical framework, it's not that simple. Right. And you know? well, and then you have the, the famous one of you have a time machine and you can go back to when Hitler was a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you kill Hitler baby or uh, do you let him go on to live a, a life where he could possibly commit the greatest genocidal crimes in humanity. Yeah. Um, you know, and, One then, of and them. then I and think the, the Russians killed more and Mao certainly has the, has the title, yeah, but, but then you, yeah. then, then you have, you know, Oh, you would kill a baby. You know, the, you have that side of it yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it, yeah, it's a, it's a twisty turny, uh, like not something you always necessarily want to get into yeah. because there's just, it's, it's a rabbit hole. Um, but the discussions are, are are necessary, you know. When when we talk, um, 
it was always interesting to me to, to have discussions in the military about what to do about a certain individual who mis, misbehaved. And, you, and you've always had the person that shows up and they say, this is the book answer. This is what we do. Okay, maybe that's not enough. Maybe it's too much. But let's, let's think about it. You know? and, and for me, intention has always mattered. Yeah. Intention has always mattered. And plus, was he operating in an environment that, that we were responsible for maintaining that allowed him to think that what he did could either be acceptable or that permitted him to do with, with malevolence? Like, say, he wanted to cause this problem. So, so here's, here's one uh, on that subject. I had a soldier in my squad. He, wasn't, he didn't report to me, mm-hmm. uh, but he was uh, counseled for... Uh, f- failure to disobey a direct order from a non-commissioned officer, our platoon sergeant. Um, 91. That's Article 91. But he, uh, so he had, um, he, he was told that Sunday he had to be in, in his dress uniform, ready for inspection, room inspection included. Uh, he wasn't in his barracks room. He was off post, intoxicated, um, where he was not supposed to be, mm-hmm. even though it was considered an extra duty. So the uh, platoon sergeant put him in for an Article 15. Well, he decided that he wanted to appeal it through uh, the UCMJ, right? Yep, yep. he Go wanted through a court-martial Article process. Article 32 hearing, I think. Um, so, so I remember him asking me if I would be a character witness for him in this Article 15 process, you know, this, this court-martial hearing. And uh, it was a CO from another company, uh, I think another battalion entirely. And and uh, for those who don't know, CO is commanding officer, right? Yes, okay. Yeah. Um, so so he was a, a captain, and the the captain asked me as a specialist, and and the soldier I believe was a PFC. He was an E three. Okay. Um, and so he said, hey, you're here as a character witness for this individual. Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, sir. You know, going through this process. And he, he's asking me these questions. And um, one of the questions he asks is, what is your opinion of, of this individual as a soldier? And I had to think about it. And it was something that was actually something I was thinking about the entire time from the point he asked me to be a character witness to me sitting in front of this guy. I was worried about every question that this guy was going to throw at me uh, to a point where I was staying up late at night, like trying to rehearse an answer to a question I didn't even know was going to come. Yeah. You know, it was just like, what, what am I going to say if he asked this? What am I going to say if he asked this? What am I going to do if he does this? Well, you, you know? probably wanted to help the guy, but you also had, a, had this sort of existential crisis with yourself because you probably knew what the truth was. Well, so I ended up... And it wouldn't help him. I, exactly. It did not help him. And the more I, I wanted to help him, I couldn't because I, didn't, I wasn't going to put myself out there. So my answer to, you know, what kind of soldier is this guy? I, and, and I looked him, I looked the soldier right in the eyes when I said it. I said, if there is a detail, I want him on it. And the reason why is because he'll follow blindly if I tell him what to do and I give him direct direction. If I say, do this, then do this, then do this, then do this, he'll do it step by step by step by step. And he'll get the job done. Unlike some of the other privates that we have in our unit, that it's like, hey, I need you to do this. And they'll just bitch about it. Yeah. He, he would do it because he knew 
that if you were asking or telling him to do it, that it was something that you were directing him to do for the better of the unit or, or, yeah. or the group, the greater good of the group. He Which knew really speaks to your ability as a leader. Well, Honestly, because he, he it was knew, a trusting thing. Yeah, he knew I wasn't going to tell him to, you know, go do some stupid shit. Yeah. Uh, just to point and laugh at him. You know, like, hey, uh, go grab the Sharpie out of the, you know, the urinal. You know, I wasn't going to do that. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. You know, I threw the Sharpie in there. It doesn't even work. Ha ha. You know, I w- yeah, I'm an asshole, but I'm not that big of an asshole. You know, yeah. um, but I said, if, if we got in a firefight. I'm not sure if I'd want him next to me because I don't know if he's a reliable person when shit hits the fan. Um, And he asked me to elaborate on that. And my explanation was that through the years of knowing this soldier, and and it had probably been a year and a half, but through the the time of knowing this soldier, um, I knew that he was often late. Um... If he told him there was going to be a room inspection, it was hit or miss on whether he'd have his room ready. Uh, clearly, he chose personal desires over his own, you know, obligations, obligation or, or, or yeah. duty, because he didn't show up to a, a, a class A inspection uh, and room inspection on a Sunday, even though it was his extra duty to do so. Uh, so clearly, he, he wasn't reliable in that aspect. Um, so, so it was just, it was difficult and I could see the hurt in his eye, you know, in his eyes telling him, because I'm talking straight to him. I'm looking at him just like I'm looking at you like, Hey, you know, if I had a detail, I want you on it because I know that you're going to do what I tell you to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's fear, you're afraid I'm going to mess you up if you don't do it Mm -hmm. or because it's respect as, as leadership, Mm -hmm. um, Whatever the case is. But I don't know what you're going to do when shit hits the fan. I don't know if I can count on you, you know, when, when shit hits the fan. Uh, and I don't know if you're going to tell me the truth or tell me a lie to get out of anything, you know? Yeah. Like, so, so telling him that and then, you know, basically in front of this court-martial, it was like, damn, you know, and... and <laughs> The NCO that was in there with me was like, dude, that was the coldest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like <laughs> how how you just dissected this dude and threw him under like I was pretty much the person that threw him under the bus, I guess, you know, because I was the difference between him getting off of of this, you know, court martial or him spending time in the federal pen, which he ended up spending time in the military pen in uh, Bremerton. Mm. In, in the naval prison. Um, and I ended up having to be the person who drove him up there. Yeah, yeah, I've had to do a uh, prisoner delivery down to Vandenberg. Yeah. And, and it was the entire time, you know, you could, I could feel the tension between him and, you know, his eyes towards me, like, you're the one who did this to me kind of feeling. You yeah. know, and he had 40, I think it was 45 or 90 days. Um, and... And then he was never to be seen again as far as our, our, our platoon. We never saw him again. Wow. Because uh, he got moved to a different unit. But Do you feel good about that answer? It was the honest answer. There you go. Um, so, so for me, I didn't feel, I didn't feel bad. 
Um, Do you carry any guilt? I I don't say. Yeah, no. Okay. Um, So I wouldn't say I feel good about it, but I don't feel bad. It's Mm -hmm. just kind of it existed kind of thing. Um, That makes sense. And and for me, that's kind of pretty much the summary of a lot of the the military stuff that I've done. Is it what I don't feel good? I don't feel bad about it. it Just existed. Yeah, it Um, just is. And it's not necessarily like, do you feel bad about the missions that you did? No. Do you feel good about them? No. Yeah. Like they don't make me feel any different though. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the downsides of sitting in a, in a secure room and with 18 screens around you and you're watching these high value targets and whatnot, you know, you're also watching them like they're under surveillance 24 seven. And so you're watching them with their kids. You're watching some of them play with their kids, you know, you know, wash, wash their animals and um, convene at places like, like the little local well right there that, you know, the men will go out there and see, seem like they chat for a while and you see them live, live their lives. And so for 100, 120 days, this was an Air Force deployment. <laughs> so, so, uh, so for four months, you know, no days off. That's that's what you're watching, and and then you know of course you you uh, see the plan to strike develop, and then you strike them, and then that's it, they're done. Next, on 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 to the next one, and sometimes you would have to be providing surveillance over, say, like a ground force, and uh, you'd have an AC-130 out there, and then the ground force gets ambushed, and so again we see all this on on thermal, and so we get the AC-130 in, and it's just. You're dropping 105 shells, you know, onto people. I, I saw one where a guy was running away uh, because once the C-130 started impacting rounds, people scatter. And you can see these white, you know, these white dots of people and, and, they're, and they're running away. And um, there were two guys running. The guy in front, he, he takes a direct shot from a 105 shell into the back of the neck. And the... Uh, the reaction of his head flying back knocked out his guy. Knocked out the guy that was running running behind him. We struck him anyway. It's crazy shit, man. So yeah, and, and, and what bothered me the most about that was like people would get excited to come in there and watch a strike. And I I didn't it it didn't bother me at first, but eventually I just I spent too much time thinking about it and I thought like, what a dis- what a disgusting desire. You know, well, and and that's that. I think that's part of what I what I mentioned earlier the the desensitization that we've we've yeah. had with with ourselves. Where, um, uh, man, there's videos of the cartel that you can pop on and and see. A buddy of mine and, I live with in California sent me one. I'll, I'll 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 tell it to you once we're you know offline. I won't say it on air. It's pretty pretty fucking gruesome. Yeah, it's and and, and there are people that their whole desire in life is to watch more and more videos like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and that really gets them, you know, and, and sharing them with people that also excites them. Like, what is this person going to say when they do this? And I, I got buddies who send me some weird shit and being infantry, I'm down with that weird shit. Yeah. You know? yeah. But there are some things that I'm like, yo bro, don't send me that stuff ever again. Like yeah. that, that type of stuff. I don't want to see. Yeah. And, and my, one of my buddies in, in Columbus, he knows exactly what not to send me because I told him, I'm like, I do not like that. I don't like that one bit. Don't send yeah. me videos like that. Yeah. Um, 
de- the death stuff doesn't really bother me. Uh, it'll, it'll make me cringe. Um, Some people are just into that, man. You know, and, and I, it's, it's not for me, but, you know. But you look at... You look at all this pedo stuff that's happening right now. Oh, God, I, I want no part of it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I won't. If, I won't read about it. Uh, you know, what's hopefully, hopefully, the right things will happen, and I'll and I'll get the final final analysis of it. But I'm not. I'm just. But you, you can't look at it, it, you man. look at culture now at, at the same time, and and I f- I feel like our society is kind of making it okay. But Ro, listen to me. I this was probably. Four years ago, I was with my friends in Georgia, and we were talking about, like, progressives, right? How, how things, like, there's this movement to make everything inclusive, right? Um, we have to appeal to everybody. And, and, and I said, mark my words, within the next five to ten years, is what I said, I said, uh, you will see a, a movement where the progressive ideology of inclusion starts rationalizing and justifying pedophilia, calling it actual love. And let me tell you, there is a TED Talk video where a woman is trying to make that case. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've seen it. Um, and that's not so much what, what I'm referring to. Uh-huh. I'm referring to more of like the stuff that we see on a day-to-day basis, and it's become normalcy. Oh, like the sexualizing, like just, you know, kids with their outfits or whatever not well not even just that but like you 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 think of uh um the girls calling their boyfriends daddy and stuff like that yeah that's um just the weird stuff like that um and and it's it's become normalcy uh and then you have I, i i've seen it on reddit just scanning through uh just flipping it to new and and not what i'm subscribed to and I'll see stuff like age role play. Like, what in the world? And people are into that stuff, man. And it's become... I stay away from these weird fetishes, it's, bro. Dude, it's become, <laughs> it's become so weird where it's like, no it's wonder... It's hard to believe it's real life. No wonder this shit is like popping off as, as what's going on in, in our day-to-day. Yeah. But it's also become like a weird... Um, it, it's become an acceptable taboo to some. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and you know, that's th- interesting too. It seems like we're, we're, we're pushing the limits of the taboo for, yeah, you know? yeah. And, and you, I mean, you, you pop on Pornhub and now it's all like sister and brother stuff. And what? I don't want to see this. Hard no, you know, Hard like no, I, man. I might be from Mississippi, but I'm not from Alabama, <laughs> you know, um, uh, <laughs> Our yeah, states might enough. look alike if you flip them over, but uh, yeah, it's not uh, it's not my thing, and that's been my biggest carry right now with society. Is it feels like we're we are pushing that limit of taboo, um, and and we're also making more things that that should continue to be taboo. We're making them normal, yeah, you know, and and you look at children's toys and stuff like that. You know, I've that, seen they had some that, of those, yeah, that that trolls toy that they just recalled because they put a button, you know, in the private area of a mm-hmm. of a doll, and it made weird noises when you press that button. Yeah. Like, that's that's pretty weird. Come on, man. Yeah, like that's, that's pretty some, weird. That that was definitely intentionally put there by someone. Who put it there? 
you know? Who knows, man? Like, honestly, who knows? I mean, it, it, it does seem suspect. But, hey, let me ask you, how long do you think we've been doing this? Um, what? Uh, looking at your watch. Uh, what, two and a half hours? Three hours and 40 minutes. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. These, these, these things are time portals, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's pretty crazy. But, yeah. uh, man, it's been, it's been great talking to you. It's probably a good uh, – I think when we're starting to get into, like, you know, porn and stuff, it's probably a good time to wrap it Yeah, up. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, we got to keep it safe for the kids. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, but, shit, man, I'm, I know you talked about you were, you were getting off of uh, social media, but do but you want to put any of that out there, you know, for the episode? Or? Uh, so you don't have to. Jamie didn't, the uh, last uh, – Last episode, but I, I I put it on my website, so that's 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 all I do. You know, yeah, like, um, <clears throat> I mean, Facebook is Patrick Alexander Mortensen uh, when I have it. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, allegedly. Yeah, <laughs> allegedly. I don't know what I have to do at this point because I I submitted a picture of my driver's license and my driver's license says Patrick A. Mortensen, and they rejected that last night. So I don't know if they if it wasn't visible. Yeah. So uh, I I. My my dad luckily had a copy of my birth certificate, so uh, you know if they reject my driver's license again, uh, I'll take a picture of my my birth certificate that says my full name on it. There so, you go. Uh, we'll so get you I'm, back on there. I might be back on Facebook <laughs> in a week. I don't know. Uh, what Twitter is? Uh, Twitter and Instagram, I think, is the same. Uh, Saint Buckeye. Uh, okay. All one word, uh, and th- and that happened. Uh, because I'm a Saints fan, yep, and yep. a Buckeye fan. There you go, so, makes sense. <laughs> so it just worked out, even though it kind of makes me sound like I'm some, you know, guy who thinks I'm important. You know, <laughs> I don't know. A Saint. You are important, dude. Uh, I think that's also my Snapchat. But okay, who the hell wants to add me on Snapchat? It's just pictures of my dog every once in a while. Hey, that's that's uh, that's a good Snapchat as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, man, it was it was good chatting with you, and I uh, hope to do it again, man. That that felt pretty uh, pretty easy and natural. So yeah, for sure. All right, everybody. Thanks. See ya. Have a good one. Everybody, thanks again for listening. As always, we appreciate the support from each and every one of you. If you found value in this episode or you just enjoyed the entertainment, feel free to give us a review and a rating. Also, don't forget to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Check out our website at shopandchivalry.com where we have links to our episodes, a blog, pictures, and other media, and also a way to get in contact with us. Shoot us an email or a message if you would like to be on the show. Finally, follow us on Facebook at The Shop and Chivalry Podcast, Instagram, Shop and Chivalry, and Twitter at Shop and Chivalry. Thanks again, everybody. See ya.